Welcome, everyone, to the Our Strange Skies podcast. I am your host, Rob Christofferson, and back for a third time in the in the last few months, man, uh, one of the creators and the voice behind Finding Quantum Quest and the co-host of the What If podcast, Spencer Worth Davis. Welcome back, man. Thank you, Rob. Thanks for uh, having me back, buddy. Uh, I appreciate you coming on because uh, I I originally recorded this episode with the guys from the Kryptonaut podcast and sometimes the gremlins, the technological gremlins get to you and uh, you you came in short notice, man, for an episode that is going to be gargantuan in size. So I appreciate you stepping up to the plate here. I, I can't wait. I'm glad I uh, get to participate in whatever shenanigans are about to go down here shenanigans are afoot uh (laughs) spencer we have the clearance sale of humanoids here today we just have it's a firestorm of humanoids it's the year of the humanoids Uh, this infamous event in 1973 a flap so wild and crazy that it generated a report by a man named david webb in 1974 and it was revised in 1976 but the year of the humanoids, uh, what defines it is that uh, there was a high concentration not only of UFO reports in the fall of 1973, but there was a huge number of humanoid sightings on the eastern side of the United States, primarily in the south. You had a good concentration in some of the states up north, but uh, just a whole gaggle of weird looking, varied, not, none of them look the same. None of them really look the same at all. Just weird ass humanoids. Just when we say humanoids, the, the, the common theme there or like the, the connective tissue there is what, like two legs, two arms, head. Is that sort of the, yep. but not a human. That That's sort of the idea. That's exactly it, man. That's okay. what we're dealing with. Uh, we have vaguely human-shaped things. There's one uh, <laughs> that was described as a one-eyed catfish uh, with arms and legs. So, uh, you know, it gets oh, weird. Oh, Lord. Man. Yeah, it gets weird. <laughs> I, I identify as a vaguely human-shaped thing. <laughs> I mean, you know, it depends on the day. It's yeah, Thursday. Right? I think... I think between Monday and Thursday, that's where the vaguely shaped humanoid portion of most of us comes out. And then Friday, (laughs) uh, we seem to assemble into the last vestiges of the week when we can enjoy it and not feel like um, we're a humanoid being spotted by other humanoids that are exactly like us. And we all think they're just weird alien looking things. But no, man, we're just... We're just out here doing our best. And um, in this report, there are 70 documented cases of humanoids between. No, sir, the, I don't like it. Yeah, it's, it's just too many, dude. It's mm-hmm. too many. 
between the between the months of August and December, and fifty five of them are from the continental United States. Wait, uh, I'm sorry. This is this is seventy whatever you said seventy some reports in four months. In four months. Oh no! Not only that, there are no, no, thir- no. thirty six of them occurred in October alone. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. There were six documented abduction cases reported that year, uh, as well as kind of a, a, a few additional ones that were discovered later. Some of which I'm going to cover on the Patreon because uh, they didn't they didn't come to light until I think like the 2000s, early 2000s, mid 2000s, somewhere around there. But uh, what and that and that's interesting in and of itself because before that. What you had was random smattering, uh, you know, abduction cases, like maybe one a year, maybe one every couple of years. This is the first year that they all kind of like there was more than one. There was actually about it, it from my estimation, about eight. And what it makes it even weirder is that they were all reported within 17 days of each other in October. So, in like, it, how far apart, like, geographically from each other? Most of them are on the the eastern side of the United States. Uh, the the one episode that you were on that we did with uh, that we covered, Dionisio Yanka is the only one outside the United States. There is one that occurred, I think, in California, but most of them are either coming from the south, and and I think. That's pretty much it. The South, California, Utah, and Argentina. That's pretty much where where we're talking for this. Okay, okay. So th- this is this is multiple offenders at, mm-hmm. for sure. Then okay, yeah, okay. Uh, that's, and uh, it, that's not great. Not great. No, <laughs> no. Uh, and this is also the the same time period that the infamous. Pascagoula abduction took place. Mm. Uh, that's getting its own episode that I'm recording with Bradley Netherton of the Colshack Sloop podcast uh, sometime next week. I think next Friday. But uh, and that was what Missouri? No, that did, that's was, in uh, Mississippi. Mississippi, the, the other yeah. one. Yeah, the the other M one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> As, so, someone who lives in an M state, I feel like I should know the other, like, you know, four of them. But there's a few, you know, there's a few. Sometimes it, you get them mixed up. It's easy to get them mixed up. But um, beyond uh, the abductions, uh, what makes flaps in particular so interesting most of the time is that, uh, you know, your, your standard viewing kind of windows for UFOs generally takes place between the months of about late May to the middle of August. So that's when your bell curve uh, starts at the end of May and people are going outside more. They're seeing UFOs more often than not. And then it comes back down in August when, you know, things are starting to get a little colder. But what's interesting about most of the flaps, with the exception of 1947, is that they occur in the fall or the winter which is very uncharacteristic of UFO reports. The off-season. Yeah, it is off-season. Uh, off, you know, you're getting them... alien visitorship. Mm-hmm. They just, like... I guess that's, like, 
the vacation months for aliens is uh, off season. So I respect that. I mean, uh, trying to get those cheap sense. deals. Yeah. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to come visit you know, North America from outer space or another dimension, like, yeah, do it between May and August. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. You don't uh, want to be abducting somebody from Northern States in February. Exactly. I mean, you want those full fall foliage colors. You want yeah, that orange. Right. You want that brown. And, and it looks nice, you know? Grab grab a dude, do some leaf peeping, and go back to Alpha Centauri. <laughs> exactly. It's nice, it's, nice little weekend. <laughs> exactly. Simple as that. So the heaviest concentration of humanoid activity during this time occurred in Ohio, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and a few states in the South, Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and Florida. So this flat begins with the most like innocuous sighting, I think, ever. Uh, I, I wouldn't even include it if they hadn't included it in the report. So it begins, begins characteristically enough in Exeter, New Hampshire, which, you know, given the incident at Exeter that occurred in September of 1965. It's kind of a very fitting start to this flap, but a father and son were driving along the main highway. This like this report is very nondescript. What everything that I'm going to say right now is what's in the report. So they were driving along the quote unquote main highway, which is not identified, when they saw a landed UFO at the side of the highway. Descriptions of the craft, the being and the time of day are scarce, but we do know that there was a being near a UFO. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Just real yeah. minimalist UFO reporting. I, I like it. Yes. Uh, very minimalistic, uh, very counterculture to what uh, UFO reports are and what makes good UFO reports good. But uh, in November, there would be a series of sightings that we're going to get to. But there's one case that I pulled from the 1973 uh, humanoid catalog, which uh, David Webb uh, is also behind compiling. And um, this is the case of a man named Joseph Cottrell, 42, a machinery inspector. He went outside for a breath of air and saw a glowing ball, quote, like a ball of fireflies 500 yards away. That's a fun description. Oh, dude, it is. It, it it seems like he's in store for a pleasant experience. I want to see a ball of fireflies like right now. Yeah, I've, I've never heard that one before. No. So he began to walk toward it and upon which it burst into seven smaller units, which rapidly and silently approached him, glowing alternately red, white and green they came to a stop about 100 feet away and at an altitude of 50 feet. And he saw that there were six to nine feet in diameter, realizing that they were alien beings inside the glowing balls, which is dope. I dig that. He asked, quote, why me? Telepathically, he heard an answer. Why not you? <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Uh, that that like that should be a pretty innocuous response. Like, I don't know, you were here, we were here, but for some reason, that's way more terrifying than like yep. I, most other responses. Just like, wow, we're just here to fuck some shit up. I don't know. Yep. 
After 10 to 15 minutes, he ran back to his house, loaded his camera, and returned with his son, Wayne, and a shotgun as well. Wayne. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. (laughs) Telepathic communication with aliens 10 to 15 minutes later. What? You can't just skip 15 minutes ahead after the, the ball of alien communicated directly into your brain. Look. I, I don't make the rules on this one. This is what the report said. He's, oh he's, he hung outside and stared at these things for 10 to 15 minutes, rocked by <laughs> the fact that he did receive an answer. And that answer was troubling, to say the least. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Carry on. So uh, Wayne, his son, carried a 22 rifle. Uh, his hmm. wife, we are told, continued to watch TV. She saw nothing. She wasn't interested <laughs> in it at all. And I don't blame her. She's the hero of this story, quite frankly. Uh, Dad needs me to shoot some aliens. <laughs> yeah, okay, whatever. My show's on. Go get them, tiger. <laughs> yeah. The luminous objects were now 150 to 200 feet away and at an altitude of 35 feet in the air in a group of four and another of three. He heard the telepathic question, are you going to shoot us? He replied, no. Then a beam of light or energy appeared at his feet and passed all over his body, pausing at sites of old injuries. Okay. I appreciate the uh, alien MRI here. That's fantastic. That's nice. He thought that they were, quote, making a Xerox copy of me. (laughs) Wait, what? Like, like scanning him in, in a... Yeah. Okay. Like yep. just gonna just gonna print out a copy of him and put it up on the fridge inside the ship. <laughs> yep. That that's what yeah. he's doing. That's what they're doing. Yeah, all right. The intensity of the beam was increased to a point where he felt very uncomfortable. When he complained, it was reduced again. Meanwhile, he was carrying on a telepathic conversation. Quote, I was imprinted with a new world of friendly alien beings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is a positive this is not experience. not the direction I thought this was going to go after they went to grab the gun. <laughs> yeah. They showed him pictures of glass-like cities, energy systems, and components. Can you guess what they warned him about? Uh... Well, okay, 73, so we're either going nuclear war or climate change. Uh, Definitely nuclear uh, energy. They warned against it. He and his son Wayne hung out with these things for about an hour. And these objects came very close. Mr. C realized that, quote, they wanted us to go with them. He raised his hands in uh, a sign of uh, rejection the objects immediately returned to their former position and after a few moments disappeared huh those are some very considerate orb aliens yes I agree I completely agree Mm -hmm. Uh, another strange case that appeared in the Humcat uh, not long after this one uh, is from Russia you say say Humcat yeah, that's that's literally what it's called. The humanoid catalog, the humcat. Oh, that rules. <laughs> we got big cats. We got humcats. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. Uh, can you imagine, like, you run some some small, like, mom and pop print shop in 1973 in Ev- Evanston, Illinois, and this order, this order rolls in one day from, from our guy, Dave? Yeah. 
Yep. I mean, <laughs> the the money spends the same, but Jesus, you gotta you gotta worry about Dave after he brings the Humcat in, into the the local yeah. Evanston Kinkos in, in 1973. You know what? You know what the thing is, though. You know what the the Humcat actually is. It is a. Um, it's basically all of these cases typed up on little index cards. That's all it is. Incredible. <laughs> yeah. This this year of the humanoids report though that you sent me, it looks, you know, it looks like this was bound together at least at some point. Oh yeah. This uh the report was originally released in 74 and then he revised it in 76. That's the edition that you're looking at right now and gotcha. uh it it included uh additional analysis of flat data over the years from Jacques Vallée. Uh that's towards the back. And uh, it has a very nice uh, section of cited sources. So you can go try and find the original sources. Some of them are, you know, issues of Flying Saucer Review and, and stuff. But he, he made an honest effort to collect firsthand uh, investigated, uh, quote unquote, investigated as much as you can investigate this stuff, um, reports, basically. It's... Uh... It is extremely thorough. It is. It is. Uh, which is why I... Except the illustrations. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The the illustrations are baller. They are baller. Um, Sorry. I, I got I to stay on track here. I'm skipping ahead to look at these just absolutely unhinged illustrations. <laughs> oh, my friend. They are. They are definitely unhinged. Uh, they are... So, because like they're very minimalist in many cases, one of which is a photograph, but uh, they are uh, baller, which which we're going to get into, and and we we'll, we will cite uh, pages here, so uh, y'all listening to this can uh, go to the show notes, click on the link to the year of the humanoids report, and go and see these photos because they're just absolutely fantastic. Highly recommend uh, it. Yeah, I've also uh, made contacts on Twitter with folks who have been drawing some of these folks, some of these humanoids. Uh, so uh, if you want to check those out, uh, Jej Ortiz Art, that's J-E-J Ortiz Art, and Weird Tonino on Twitter. Go follow their accounts because they've been posting uh, their own artwork uh, on a lot of these cases. Uh, but another interesting case uh, early on in this flap is from Rush, Indiana. This is another Humcat case. And on September 2nd, uh, Connor Corey, named Confidential, a part-time preacher, was driving at 50 miles per hour when he saw in his rearview mirror a small dark green car with front fenders like two small barrels which was approaching his car from the rear. It came closer, now looking more like a van. So we've got a shape-shifting car here. And in it were two figures with shoulder-length hair. There was a humming sound like a swarm of bees. Then it, quote-unquote, hooked up to his car, and with a bright flash, the two men disappeared. After this, he watched the mirror as if it were a TV screen. First, he saw something like water spilling. 
than a room like the NBC newsroom. This is fucking wild. <laughs> the the turtle van the the fucking turtle van piloted by a disappearing bebop and rocksteady just linked up to his car and showed him visions of the yeah. NBC newsroom flooding in his rearview mirror. Yep. Yep. That's Holy what we're getting. Holy shit, bud. Into this room came up through a trap door or a stairway three men, two of whom were dressed like doctors in grayish or light blue uniforms. Wait, they, so he's just seeing all of this happening in his mirror? Is that is that right? I, I don't think it's all through his mirror. I think it's like pulling itself up close to like the driver's side here at this point. Uh, but, but like this newsroom situation like where where is he seeing this i i think you're right though because i do think he's looking in the rearview mirror to get like all of this so probably not the best vantage point to be honest i guess i'm just like is he seeing it as if it's actually happening behind him or is it being like projected onto the mirror and he's seeing it i don't even really understand what they're trying to say yeah, it's it's tough um, because I can't really tell if he's just like he's got to be tripping on something here because uh, that's yeah, the this only is yeah bizarre at best. Yeah, they seem to be confer- conferring with the third man. Then they too disappeared, and he saw a view of scenery as if seen from an airplane with the moon or the earth looming up on the horizon so he is beyond the plane <laughs> i'm sorry the moon or the earth <laughs> yes this is the way it was worded you couldn't tell the difference between the two my guy <laughs> i mean the thing <laughs> they don't is look terribly similar bud uh i don't know if uh walter webb was his brother or his cousin but like Walter Webb, you know, was infamous for investigating the being the first investigator on the Betty and Barney Hill case. And uh, mm. he was definitely I, I think he was an astronomer. So he has no excuse at this point. You have no excuses, David Webb. <laughs> <laughs> for the way I mean, this you is got, written. You got to report what the, the person reports, but mm-hmm. I... I I wouldn't think there could be too much confusion between the earth and the moon, but right. Right. I haven't been in this person's situation either. So what do I know? We also live in a world with flat earthers, man. So anything's possible here. Fair enough. Fair (laughs) enough. Uh, This was followed by a dark cross looking like a water area, which was from which two persons emerged at first in the remote distance, but coming closer as if on a conveyor belt. Yep, it's getting weirder. Uh, as they approached, they were illuminated by a blinking light, and he could see that they were wearing grayish, greenish uniforms with a cloak and a sash tied in the front. Just as they reached the rear window, the scene vanished. The car had traveled about three quarters of a mile while all of this was seen. Whoa. Yeah. Wait, so what the the humanoid factor here is that there he saw some sort of people like driving this van? Is that the, the I think the humanoid factor is like the disappearing people that just seemed to like 
pop up out of nowhere in like from like the floor or um just like kind of just like popping into existence i think that's where the humanoid factor comes into play i was just thinking it's weird when like people like nothing in here says non-human you know it mm-hmm. he do, he describes them as people but just Pretty like much. in really weird circumstances yep hmm. so yeah, sometimes okay. yeah exactly <laughs> like sure uh it's gonna get a lot weirder from here believe me (laughs) or at least like in this next report kind of a little mundane in the weirdness but i appreciate this uh this alien being here he definitely looked humanoid so sometime in late september early october a motorcyclist had a strange encounter with a reassuring figure in poi verde france uh, quote, while en route to work, the witness's motorcycle misfired and stopped as a dazzling bright light appeared on the road ahead. As he approached, he saw it was a luminous ovoid object with smoke underneath it, hovering just above the ground. A man suddenly appeared and came up to the witness, putting his left hand on the witness's shoulder and offering reassuring words. Hmm. The okay. man was, yeah, the, the man was about two meters tall or about six and a half feet tall, uh, very thin, wearing a uniform that was like aluminum. A large helmet rested on his shoulders with a snorkel-like tube on the right side. His face was like a human face covered with a nylon stocking with, with slitted eyes. So automatically, Ooh. I think he's about to get robbed, you know? Mm-hmm. Except for the, the reassurance and the whole, like... yeah egg vehicle thing <laughs> yes yes uh You're about you to know. get jumped by reassuring Eggman. <laughs> reassuring Eggman. uh that's the humanoid we need now i need to see de- depictions of reassuring Eggman. yeah dude you gotta we need to do like a kickstarter or something for an <laughs> illustrated coffee table book of all of these yes yeah just we, we need to do like a a bootleg illustrated version of the of the humcat. Oh yeah. And make it like a, you know, 11 by 17 hardcover coffee table book or something. Oh, definitely. It's the absolute, you know, talking talk piece of your apartment, your house, whatever. It Absolutely. Like, yeah, this is this is just the conversation starter you need. Uh so this individual, he carried something like a pistol in his right hand pointed at the ground he asked the witness where he was going he replied quote to my job the being then said he must return to the object and told the witness not to inspect it too closely he entered it from beneath and it rose vertically with a sound like a swarm of bees and then moved off horizontally the motorcycle then started normally so don't look at, don't look at my egg <laughs> Stop he's, it. Stop he's looking little, at my egg. He's a little self-conscious about his egg. I get it. <laughs> I get it. We've all been there. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um so that dude that dude just got robbed, right? I that that's my assumption. That was the first thing that I thought, but do you save face and report it to David Webb, who in turn puts it into the humcat and you're like <laughs> 
I just got robbed. <laughs> I mean, a guy, a weird dude with a nylon over his head and a gun approaches you on the side of the road. Like, mm-hmm. what? What else is that? That's that's you getting robbed. That is lit, literal highway robbery. That yeah. then you just reported to Dave and he put it in his humcat. Dave put it in his humcat and uh, that's where Dave can stick it is in his humcat, <laughs> I think, at this point. Uh, so uh, with the with the case with the mysterious uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle van, there's an oddly similar case that occurred uh, in Toronto on October 29th. Quote, the witness, a professional engineer, name undisclosed, was taking a walk near his home when he noticed a ball of light, 8 to 10 feet in diameter, hovering over a field. He walked toward it, and it stopped within 15 feet of him. The surface of this ball then behaved like a TV screen. Images of what he thought and of answers to his questions were projected upon it. Whoa, that's yeah. fun. Mm-hmm. He's, he's got an alien Magic 8 ball TV? Yep. That's That's, awesome. That's exactly what this is. Uh, He asked to see the beings, presumably inside, but was shown a slide indicating that they would, quote, crumple to dust if they emerged. So these are some weaklings here. I get it. Totally get it. Gravity differences, maybe, or something? Yep. Sure, sure. When asked about their propulsion system... He was shown a slide of the periodic table of elements with uranium and hydrogen emphasized. His other questions apparently received only unclear answers. He felt as if held by the back of his neck and a voice behind him told him to keep calm. Nothing will happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. Not a fan. No, thank you. Nope. I do like the... the- the ask again later response mm-hmm. from the alien eight ball though. Yes. Yeah. The, if this isn't the inspiration for the eight ball later, you know, years down the road, uh, I don't know what, what it was because like, this is really what is happening here. Uh, except the eight ball does not put a magical hand on your neck and stand behind you, which is good because that would be utterly terrifying. <laughs> that would suck. That would yeah, suck yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. 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 It's big like time. the, uh, I love the idea of a vehicle that doubles as like a projector and projection, like 3D projection screen, though. Mm-hmm. When the craft is also the means of communication. Yes. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Uh, I do enjoy that streamlined thing. It definitely looks like they attended business meetings and they know how to get things done efficiently. It doesn't, you know, balloon into about 5,000 emails. I appreciate that. <laughs> I, I love the overlap of like clearly 70s technology when he said that they put up a slide mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and the clearly like way, way advanced technology of, you know, interstellar travel and projecting things three dimensionally onto a globe. Yeah. But but you're also still just using a slide projector inside of it. That's great. Yes. Yeah, it's fantastic. So uh, thankfully, nobody was behind him when he actually turned and looked uh toward the end he went up and touched the ball which felt like uh quote a balloon filled with water finally it rose yeah yeah it's Hmm. like there's a lot of weirdness here with how big was this thing did you say um eight to ten feet in diameter 
Oh shit. Mm-hmm. Damn, a ten foot diameter water balloon. Yep. Is a with weird the, thing. With the TV screen on it. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the the creepy not person behind him, this one's this one's pretty fun. This one is pretty fun, and uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can develop this into a viable product. Now, um, thank you, Humcat and David Webb, for uh, making commerce happen, making me a rich son of a bitch. <laughs> I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, do we think so? The, fi- do we think the copyright yeah. has been renewed on the Humcat since 1974 or whatever? No, I don't think so. I, I don't even think now, they're. Right? I don't think there was a, a copyright on the Humcat, you know, it, it, the, <laughs> well, they're usually... out there for free, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And then we're set. Oh yeah. Great. Totally. So it's always good to, when, right when you have an idea that you're going to try and monetize, just say it to like thousands of people at once. That's, that's oh, always yeah. a good, always a good policy. If you're hearing this episode, I've already done it. Okay, folks. Yeah. I've done it. Shh. shh. If you're hearing this, no, no, the fuck you're not. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mind your business. Mind your business. I'll mind mine. Thank you. Uh, so when he returned home, he found that he had been gone for three hours. His dog would not go near him. And in the next two weeks, he felt very ill and went to the hospital, but they could find nothing wrong with him. Yikes. Mm-hmm. So kind of a bummer ending there, but uh from what I can tell, he did not die, which is good. <laughs> I mean, by now, maybe he has. It's been mm-hmm. about 50 years, but. This is another odd one that I pulled from the Humcat uh, from September 12th. Uh, two 17-year-old boys driving north on Route 7 from Westchester County saw a large oval object with flashing colored lights when they were several miles south of town. The object hovered just over the ridge on the west side of the Housatonic River. And they stopped and got out for a better look and were joined by another couple, a boy and girl, who were also driving back from Westchester. Meanwhile, on Spooner Hill, to the east, uh, R.W. was on his way to visit his friends C.O. and R.O., a young married couple, He saw the same object, and when he arrived at his friend's house, he called them outside. By this time, the object had dropped behind the ridge, although they could still see its light shining over the crest of the hill. They got into RW's car. So, like, this incident is very similar to the Draguinon incident that we're going to talk about later that you talked about on the um, What If podcast. Is that the one with the, the sentient pants? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's oh, that kinda, one it, sucks. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's just yeah. so uncomfortable. <laughs> it is, it, and it's gonna get uncomfortable again. Don't worry. Uh, oh, so uh, he saw the same object, and when he arrived at his friend's house, he called them outside. By this time, the object had dropped behind the ridge, although they could still see the light shining over the hill. They got into RW's car and drove down the hill to Route Seven, where they met uh, the four younger people. All seven then drove to Birch Hill, where they thought they could get a better view. The two boys drove into town to bring back two additional witnesses. The larger object was no longer visible, but they now saw a dozen or so smaller whitish lights maneuvering in a circular pattern just this side of the ridge. These lights then separated into a single line and proceeded north toward Mount Algo. 
just southwest of the main section of town. The witnesses got into their cars and followed the lights toward Kent. The two additional witnesses were dropped off in town while the others while the other seven turned west on Route 341 and crossed the bridge over the river, heading toward Mount Algo. There, they turned south on these Scatchahoochee Road, something like that. Uh, I'm going to go with it. It's a really really strange road, but uh, which runs along the base of the mountain to Bonus's Field. So we're throwing just a bunch of names at you. Don't worry. The the weird part, you're going to recognize the weird part when we get to it. <laughs> um, an open spot about a mile south. So that's the bonus field, bonuses field. Uh, the group assembled there briefly, but were unable to see anything. Meanwhile, at about the same time, a separate group of three teenage girls camping out in one of their backyards along the Housatanic observed a line of lights descending Mount Algo on its steep north side. The witnesses at Bonus's Field had gotten back in their cars and drove north again to the junction of Route 341, where they discovered a small white car parked, which had not been there a few minutes earlier. This is where the weird part comes in. They parked their cars, and the two younger boys got out and asked the occupants of the white car, two unidentified girls, if they had seen anything unusual. They said that they were waiting for a group of hikers who had told them an hour earlier that they were hiking over the mountain and that the girls should meet them there. Very strange. Very no. No, we shouldn't be doing this. (laughs) Very no. (laughs) Yeah, very no. I I agree. Very no thank you. Just then, a group of 15 to 20, quote-unquote, hikers came jogging down the Satchahoochee Road from mm-hmm. the same direction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The young people, had, uh, the same direction that the young people had just driven, they had not seen anyone on the road. So where these hikers came from, nobody really knows. Oh, Each hiker... Just gotta get, I mean, even if those are just normal yeah. people... That that's uh, fucking creepy. You got to get yeah. out of there. Yes. Each hiker had a lighted hat, like a miner's hat on his head, and they all carried poles or rods. They were mumbling what or chanting fuck? and approached in a double column. Oh, so you found a cult. You found a mountain cult. <laughs> you would think you would think uh, it's going to get weirder here in a second. They did not answer the boys questions as they passed on either side of them. So these boys walk up to these quote unquote hikers and they're basically standing in the middle of them as they're marching down this road. Oh, this mm-hmm. sucks. Yeah. Uh, according to the young people, the hikers apparently turned right on route 341 and headed towards Kent. Although some were vague about this. However, When they all got back in their cars and drove after them, the hikers were nowhere to be seen, as though they had disappeared into thin air. It sounds almost like more of a a ghostly encounter than a Mm -hmm. an alien encounter. Right. Right. In many ways, uh, there are definitely parallels to draw from that. Uh, I would say that seeing the the lights. which I, I think they did observe them in the air at one point, kind of like um, I think is, is where they draw the similarity to this. Yeah, 
It just, it sounds almost like, um, cause you said they were wearing like hard hats with lights on them, like, like mining that's, type yeah. of gear. That's pretty much what, what they said. Um, I think that's what they compared it to. I don't think they had a direct sure. comparison to anything specifically, but that was, I think the best thing that they could equate it to is minor helmets and stuff. Yeah. Uh, um, According to the two young men and the younger couple, there were at least two hours they could not account for. One young man's watch had stopped at 11.20. He discovered the next day. The three older people could not recall what they did or where they went after the hikers had passed. Um, yeah, there, uh, and, you know, things are going to get shady because this case then involved... Uh, Bud Hopkins, Ted Blocher, and Aphrodite Clamar, who is a um, psychologist who did um, regressive hypnosis. So you know uh, people are getting hypnotized here. So yeah, never great. No, no. Especially, especially Bud. Mm-hmm. I'm not familiar with those other two, but Bud's techniques seemed. Uh, dubious at best to me yeah oh and believe me if you talk out against bud hopkins people don't like it so um i mean either yeah yeah he he um he did he's some... not still with us is he no but died in yeah, okay. 2011 i think i just i just never trust any information that came from a hypnotic regression but yeah totally fair totally fair uh, so while the flap is is growing and it appears to be you know just growing kind of gradually over September, UFO sightings are up damn near everywhere. The humanoid wave explodes in October, and particularly on October 11th, you know the date of the infamous Pascagoula abduction. And you know while it's getting its own episode, there are um, there's an interesting case that I don't think people talk about in connection with the Pascagoula abduction. And it occurred just 45 minutes away on the Tanner Williams Road in Alabama. This is a direct quote from the report. A three-year-old boy reported to his mother that he had been playing with, quote, some old monster in the backyard. He said it was gray with wrinkled skin and pointed ears. This occurred near the Pascagoula abduction in both time and location. So, and that's that's pretty similar to the description of the the Pascagoula mm-hmm. humanoid, yeah. Yep, very similar. Hmm. Very similar. Uh, what vocabulary of the average three year old? Not terribly robust, right? No, not that I could think of. Um, but like. You know, that it's a good point. I don't really... I think if you look at the Pascagoula creatures, you could pick out certain features of them. I think their skin definitely stood out because Calvin and, and Charlie, they both described it as like wrinkly, kind of like an elephant's in many ways. Yeah. Gray and wrinkly. So I think a kid can relate to that. I think a kid can Color also relate. Sure, yeah. I think a kid can also relate to the pointy ears. 
uh, you know, yeah, in, you're right. in the terms of, you know, like a snowman or something. So, um, yeah. Uh, yes, I suppose none, none of those observations are terribly like, right. I don't know, uh, advanced <laughs> it's color and shape. That's yeah. Okay. I'll take it back. Right. But I mean, like at the same time, it's still a kid, but, um, from the 16th to the 17th, a number of reports came in. There was like an explosion of reports on this day. Uh, one of the most unusual involves the, quote, little electric man of Albany, Ohio. Little electric man. Mm hmm. Well, what was his deal? What's he all about? He's a uh, he likes to look in some doors here he's gonna look in the oh, door i don't i don't love that no um <laughs> don't do seven, that little electric man <laughs> he's he's gonna do it though man he's gonna do it um <laughs> at 7 30 p.m on october 16th mary geddes was returning from night classes to a trailer that she shared with her friend joe ben israel as she pulled into the long drive leading to her trailer. She was confronted by a strange apparition floating 50 feet above the driveway. Quote, it was like a person with a close fitting sheet draped over it. This figure was is, is very yeah. high. Yeah, it's it's hanging up there in the sky. Uh, I like Mary Geddes because she is she seems very um, honest about the way about all of this, but it embraces the weirdness wholeheartedly. I, I, I just love her. Um, <laughs> so this figure was short, only four feet tall and very thin. She claimed that she could see a distinct body shape containing, you know, a body and a head, but that there were no limbs of any any kind that she could make out. And, after she observed this figure for just a few seconds, a bright white light appeared out of her passenger side window close to the road that she had just come from. Quote, it was like it was looking. It would look here and then it would look over here, over here like that. Would I, I love these quotes because she's like, you know, point. She's basically pointing all over the place. Um, Wait, she's saying that it was like the light was looking at different things. Um, or, or she's talking about the. Was. I think she's talking about the floating figure. It would keep looking over in different directions. Um, okay, and that's what was causing this light, or are these just two totally separate things? Two totally separate things. So got it. Um, but then when it came over, um, this is she's referring to that mysterious light by the road. Um, it came straight, like I. Uh, she drew she basically drew it and she drew this line that comes across basically in front of her car so it comes from the road makes an arc kind of uh passing in front of her car and then it it goes off into a field and um quote when it saw me it kind of wanted to see what i was all about and again i think she's referring to the figure floating in the air it was just like it was staring at me and it kept coming closer and I got scared and kind of turned away and tried not to pay attention to it and moved back. It went away back over the field. It went directly to the side and then directly back. It went behind a telephone pole that blocked off some of its lights. And from there, it just went back across the field away from me. Then it faded a little and then it was gone. So 
Mary claimed that when she exited the car, she could feel a presence as if an invisible force was nearby. She was scared to walk to her trailer and waited for Joe to return before she felt comfortable enough to move. When their neighbor neighbors, Chuck and Rhonda, came home that night, they too had seen something strange in the sky. And uh, Joe decided to actually just go outside and have a conversation with them. You know, he didn't know anything about what they had seen, but he left the front door open. And that was when a small aqua-ish figure peeked around the door frame and inside. Quote, it was like the electric man they have on the co-op signs. It just looked at me. It didn't try to say anything to me. It just stared for a few seconds, probably 10 seconds. It sort of had a face. It had what looked like spiky things at the tops and sides of its head. So I'm going to go find the sketch of this uh, in the report. Uh, bear with me a second. Do you know what she's talking about with the, the co-op signs or whatever you said? Do, Not do you exactly, but... Not exactly, but I can kind of like get because sometimes people reference signs that have like weird like I don't know figures on them and stuff. But um, where is I'm, this? I'm imagining like the uh, you know on like the electrical boxes that you know like that the, the yeah. city electrical stuff they'll have those warnings. Yeah, that, um, it could be like very little, similar. To, the yeah. little like lightning monster that's always on there. Yeah. Um. I, I'm imagining yeah. that. Head to page 29 of the PDF, and on the right-hand side, you'll see exactly what this figure looks like. Oh, and I no. want you, to, oh, I want no. you to describe them for me, please. Okay, so we've got <laughs> we've got a little guy. Looks to be maybe, assuming that's an eight-foot-tall doorway. This this dude's probably about I don't know two and a half feet tall. Mm. And uh, he looks, his face looks sort of like a, a jack-o'-lantern almost. He's got like this big creepy grin on his face. Yep. And no two arms, but no legs, just kind of like a line straight down on either side of his torso to the floor. And then just really like sharp spiky lines going all the way around the perimeter of him. And he's just standing in an open doorway looking real creepy. Yeah. Yep. Yikes. Yeah. This being was about two and a half feet tall. It had short arms, but no visible legs. It retained some anthropomorphic features like eyes and a mouth and a nose quote. This looks like a monster the way I've drawn it. Mary said, but it didn't look like a monster. It looked like a friendly little thing. Only it had these spikes all over it. It didn't try to hurt me or anything. It was just looking like it was peeking around the corner at first. And then it was just kind of standing there looking at me. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine you're just at home one night and this dude shows up in your doorway? Nope. What do you do? I, I'm learning from Mary Geddes as we're going. And I am basically just coming to go with the flow i think at this point is is the way that you should do this because i don't know what you would do imagine if it is made of electricity you're gonna die like that there's so much power powering up that little man with all those spikes you're gonna die yeah, this this little dude is he's he's fucking vibing hard you don't you don't want to 
you got to at least make sure you're grounded if you're going to have some sort of interaction with them. Yeah. What's interesting here is that this is not the only report of, of people seeing a figure that had those kind of spikes, those like energy spikes coming off of it. Two years after this had taken place, I believe it was two years after, in Talavera, uh, it's, an, it's a military base in Spain, these guys had this weird-ass encounter uh, with this being that appeared in front of them. And um, the way that people draw this being is that it's it looks like a nondescript human body that has this like huge ass energy form with these spikes, these energy spikes coming off of it. And like, there's one guy that drew it like, and it looks like a, it could be a NFL linebacker for all I, you know, can tell, but like, uh, it is a very strange case, but, uh, as strange as this, but yeah, it's interesting to note that there are other cases of people seeing beings with, and pointy energy coming off of it just, and that's just the strongest freaky. auras yes yeah um this is perhaps my favorite quote of this entire thing mary <laughs> added quote i got the distinct impression that he wasn't sure about whether he should be there or not he was kind of timid <laughs> his eyes didn't blink nothing moved he just kind of disappeared back behind the door I went after him and looked behind the door and didn't see anything anymore. He was gone. Uh, there were numerous UFO sightings in and around Albany, Ohio that night, including an observation from Joe and another from Mary. Um, this quote, though, is my favorite quote. I thought at first it might be some kind of philanthropic society from outer space. <laughs> okay I, mm -hmm. I love when when she said that like he he seemed unsure about if he was supposed to be there or not yeah i love the idea that the aliens are just as confused about these interactions as we are mm -hmm. like that dude just somehow showed up in this lady's house and is trying to figure out where the fuck he is and what the fuck's going on yeah that's that's a really fun uh perspective on on these encounters yeah she thought uh, uh she added to bring uh, this philanthropic society from space to bring some sense of civilization here. But then the more I thought about it, the reason I got scared was that I realized that these people would be super in comparison to us. And I didn't think that they'd probably be helping people so much as they'd probably need some kind of power source. And they really seemed to, to scare the cows. It was the time of the beef shortage, and we were talking about oh, how the they were coming shortage. to get the cows. <laughs> Fuck, not the beef shortage. Yeah, there was a beef shortage. But yeah, if the aliens can get here, they don't need they don't need shit from us, right? No, nope. Except maybe our beef. <laughs> Dude, they're coming for cows the cows. Are unique to Earth. Yeah. Yep. Like they don't care about if there's a beef shortage on. They're coming. They're, they're, they might be the cause of the beef shortage. Yeah, you got a point there. Um, so, aside from Albany, Ohio, two other sightings, one from Mississippi and one from Burbank, California, were reported. The sighting in Mississippi, uh, which took place between Gulfport and Biloxi, involved a cab driver who was confronted by a blue oblong-shaped object with 
and beings with crab-like claws. This man later confessed to it being a hoax. And with some of these cases, it's really not surprising given the publicity that the Pascagoula abduction had received. There are were like a few reports of people saying, I saw being with crab claws, crab claws. And it's like, yeah, you just read the reports <laughs> and you're you're in it for the attention. But there, there is another report from October 17th. Uh, and from the start, it was believed to be a hoax. So from the Humanoids Report okay. in Falkville, Alabama, quote, police chief Jeff Greenhaw reported a five and a half foot tall being in a silvery suit after investigating a reported UFO landing. The chief stopped his car in the road and the thing moved slowly like a robot toward the car. When 10 feet away, it turned and began running. The chief pursued in the car, but the being accelerated and disappeared. When the car spun off the road, quote, he was running in a very odd manner from side to side, arms down to his sides. And it looked like and it looked as if he had springs under his feet to propel him. He could take 10 feet at one step. Um, the the figure you're going to want to look at is on page 71 because Jeff okay. Greenhaw got a photograph of it. Did he? Yes. I, oh. I'm going to need you to describe this individual to our, our listening audience. Um, it looks vaguely like one of the members of Kiss wrapped in tinfoil. That's, that's an apt <laughs> description. Is that, is that appropriate? Uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of, I mean, it's, it's a very low quality photograph, but like, yes. all I can really see is what appears to be a, a human uh that's kind of shiny yeah that maybe has some sort of helmet or covering over their head yes i can't make out any of the background or anything it's just sort of like a black mm -hmm. gray background yes uh greenhaw took multiple photographs of this being before he lost sight of it and you know these photographs they show a silver suited figure covered from top to bottom in what looks like aluminum foil one, this, this figure also yeah. appears to be quite close to the camera and stationary, however. Yes, yes, I agree. Uh, especially in that photograph, mm -hmm. does not look to be moving at all. No. Nope. And, and like, for how dark it is, I'm guessing this would have had to be a fairly long exposure. Mm -hmm. And there's no real, like, motion blur, aside from just, like, the general shitty quality of this scan that has then been rescanned it looks like yes so one local area investigator was suspicious from the start marion webb a member of the national investigations committee on aerial phenomenon or nicap uh he was suspicious of the chief of police's claims and took photographs wearing a fireman's suit which he had dressed up with more aluminum in a follow-up article published in NICAP's The UFO Investigator in January 1977, he conducted photographic analysis with the assistance of William Spaulding and Fred Adrian of Ground Saucer Watch. They determined that whoever was wearing the suit, it was made out of fire retardant material that was coated with aluminum. Further analysis showed that patches of aluminum foil were visible, possibly to mask the markings of the manufacturer. Uh, 
Today, the man believed to have perpetrated this hoax is a man by the name of Ricky Joe Smith, the former fire chief for Falkville. Uh, and it's unclear whether Greenhaw was in it, in on it or not. But uh, if you go on Reddit, if you talk to locals, if you talk to uh, you know a lot of people online, they will tell you it was a guy named Ricky Joe Smith. All right. I I like the version where he tricked cop guy, but mm-hmm. yeah. I also know better than to think that cops are above lying to us. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Abs- absolutely. A Nobody cop lying for no reason is, is about the least shocking thing I can think of. Yeah. Uh, either way, October 17th was a busy night uh, near Danesville or Danielsville, Georgia quote, a silver oval shaped object landed on us route 29, 300 feet ahead of Paul Brown's car, forcing him to make a panicked stop Two small four to four and a half foot beings clad in silver suits and white gloves appeared underneath the UFO. They had reddish faces with white hair. Brown stepped halfway out of his car with a gun in his hand. The beings turned and re-entered the craft, which took off with a whooshing sound. Brown fired several shots at it with no apparent effect. Pat, pat, pat. Yep. I- <laughs> it's dangerous out in the streets here. Uh, shooting at UFOs will just never, never get old to me. Yeah. Um, just people going nuts. Like, if you, I, I don't recommend shooting UFOs. You know, it just it doesn't seem like a good idea. Uh, I'm gonna be honest. I don't recommend shooting just most things. Yeah, shooting in general, you can you can almost always avoid it. Generally, yep, you can avoid it whenever necessary. And I'm going to just go out on a limb and say, folks. You don't want to. You don't want to go down that road. You, you don't know. want that smoke with a UFO. No, dear God, no. Especially if they're already leaving. That's best, probably best case scenario for you if the UFO decides to leave. Yeah, like you're gonna get out of this scot free. You're not like you have a memory. You, it, it's memorable. Just, just yeah. live with the memory. Exactly. Uh so this. Um, This next one takes the cake. And I'm going to send you a link to uh, a piece that uh, Jezge Ortiz has done of this creature because there is... This is the the artist you were talking about earlier? Yes. Yep. Uh, The strangest description of a figure would go out on WROB Airwaves in Yapora, Mississippi, quote, a 50 foot wide UFO hovered two to three feet above Highway 82 at twilight, seemingly suspended on a, quote, beam of light. The primary witness's car lights went out and the engine died when it was 100 yards from the craft. Another car stopped just behind him. A second UFO hovered 60 feet above the first, illuminating it with a light. Both craft were similar like inverted cups and had blue and had greenish blue flashing lights. A catfish like creature came out from the top of the lower UFO holding onto a handrail. 
It had a gray fish-like skin, a wide mouth, one glowing eye, flipper-like feet, and webbing between the legs like a, quote, flying squirrel. It had feather-like objects on its back, which opened and closed when it moved. All right. <laughs> so a handrail for a fish. Yeah, apparently. Uh, <laughs> dropping bro, uh, bro the art in the, in the chat. There is art for you. Oh, um, boy. Yeah. Is that it? Okay. So it, it looks like sort of a, like one third catfish, one third frog, one third mm -hmm. human, maybe? Yeah. We've got like sort of a, a catfish like head. Mm hmm. But then some human looking shoulders and chest. And then is that a single eyeball in the center? Is that what's going on there? That is a single eyeball, yes. Yikes. Yeah. Man, and then we got like the little the little catfish whiskers and stuff around the, the fishy mouth. Yep. Okay, so maybe this thing did have arms and hands then? Is that is that what's going on here? It did. It okay. very much did. That handle uh, makes a little more sense then. Uh, yeah, that thing's kind of terrifying. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It also looks that... a little bit, maybe it's just because of the, the grayscale illustration, but it looks a little bit like the uh, the putties from Power Rangers, too. Oh, yes. that That is the, one of the first comparisons I drew it to. I was like, oh, God. Okay, perfect. Can I, can I hit them in the <laughs> chest and they will just, like, break apart? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Two days later, reports continued to come in from the south. On October 19th, near Ashburn, Georgia, quote, a woman was driving on Interstate 75 when her engine power brakes and steering quit. No UFO was seen, but a small metallic man appeared after she had pulled the car to the roadside. It had a bubble dome head with rectangular eye openings. The head moved like a robot, from the elbows down, the arms were narrow and wrinkled like a chicken's legs. It moved around the car, then was gone. Afterwards, she found the engine billowing with smoke and the hood intensely hot. Uh, there is a depiction of this figure. Uh, let me find it. Uh, it's on page 68 of the Year of the Humanoids report. Okay, just, just a moment. It's the dude with the big round head oh yeah okay um it's just got a a globe for a head but it's got two little uh like horizontal rectangular slits mm -hmm. cut where the where the eyes might be sort of like a uh like a suit of armor almost yeah and then it's a little hard to tell from this illustration but either he has very wide elbows and sort of like skinny forearms so or there's maybe it, like something like it looks like if you yeah. push your sleeves up around your elbows that might be what's going on there so she described the arms in particular as kind of the way that they meet down into this kind of like the arms of a chicken dude i'm sorry do chickens I, have arms? Uh, well, I mean, like a chicken. No. Yeah, they do right now. They do. They do right now. Uh, this, so, this thing's arms are sort of like chicken's legs. Is that what yeah, we're saying? Yeah, basically. Yeah. So Got the, the yeah, quote okay. is 
From the elbows down, the arms were narrow and wrinkled like a chicken's legs. But even the joint looks sort of like a, a bird leg where it's like wider around the joint than the actual arm on either side of it, if that yep. makes sense. Yep. It looks like uh, like big bird's legs. Yeah. But an yeah. arm. Basically. Yeah, that thing's terrifying. Um, yeah. And, and like the, the eye, sl- eye slits, but no nose or mouth slit. Mm-hmm. That's a weird vibe. That is a very weird vibe. Um, the next day in Athens, Georgia, quote, Mars Walker, a student at the University of Georgia, observed a vague purple shape about 50 yards from the house. From it came a being with tentacle-like protrusions about the head and hands of three or four fingers. It had several odd objects that it wore on a belt and appeared to be reading and appeared to be taking readings with them. The being completely ignored the witness during the 30-minute period. It was bathed in a green light from the UFO. Eventually, it was, quote, taken back up into the vessel. There is an image of this being on page 74 of the Year of the Humanoids, and you'll, ins- you'll instantly recognize it from that description. Well, wait, this is 30, 31, yeah? Yep. Yeah. Uh oh boy, I don't even know where to where to start with this one. There's a lot going on. We we've got some flower trumpet like things coming out of the head. Mm-hmm. Some three fingered claw hands. What's the thing like just off of its off of its butt that's kind of floating behind? It almost looks like a megalodon tooth, right? You know? Um, yeah, or like a tail that's not attached. I assume it's one of the instruments that it had kind of on its belt, That the way that she described it. It had all these instruments on its belt that it was using to take readings. How would you describe the expression on this being's face? Very, very sad. <laughs> Forlorn. <laughs> uh, despondent. Yes. <laughs> it's not good. No. Not th- th- this person has recently accepted their lot in life, and it's it's not a good one. No, no. Um, actually, uh, Weird Tonino drew this uh, this figure this evening. In, in fact, I will share that with you in a second. Excellent. I recognize uh, the little uh, the vacuuming alien next to. Next yes, to them on we the will. Same page. We will be talking I- about the Vilvord humanoid. Oh, excellent. Um, uh, at the end, but uh, yeah, uh, Lincoln chat. He. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a sad radish. Oh fuck! <laughs> I I love this art so much. It's so fantastic. It's just like that's amazing. I'm I'm the sad dude, you know, out here in this field right now. Just a sad radish man with his trumpet head. Look, scanning the grass. Yep. Oh, that's outstanding. Yeah. So, uh, Spencer, that's going to bring us to Jaguinon, France, and the, uh, the the terrifying encounter that occurred on Le Malmont. This was uh, on October 19th, and, and this is one of the most frightening encounters that took place during the entire Year of the Humanoids. Um, Gabriel de Mogue and his girlfriend were traveling near... Uh, a small mountain known as Le Malmont. 
And the two were ascending the mountain on a date looking to take in the stunning view that the, the top offered. During the ascent, the young woman saw a vivid, bright orange ball of light to the left, surrounded by a distinct halo that revolved around the orange ball. Demog stopped the motorcycle that they were on, and the pair watched the ball move from west to east some 500 to 600 meters, or about 1,500 to 2,000 feet away. They estimated the size of the central ball to be equivalent to that of a melon, basically. Uh, the object flew over the face of Les Marbon and vanished behind a red glow uh, through some trees. With their date seemingly ruined, Demog drove her back to her home in Droguinon uh, to meet up with a friend who had an interest in UFOs briefly. His friend in turn contacted other friends and they hatched a plan to return to the spot and investigate. We've got amateur UFO investigators here. So mm -hmm. in two cars, one driven by Elaine Leka and the other by Georges Macrate, they ascended the mountain path along with the drivers. There was Christian Bensa and another unnamed man, and they arrived at the summit. They turned their cars around so that they would make their descent easier. They all gathered around a seating area known as the panorama table and waited for their eyes to kind of adjust to the darkness. And near the top of Les Malmont, a white glow could be seen, which was 80 meters or about 260 feet away from them. A sound similar to radio static could be heard coming from the white glow. The area around them instantly grew warmer. Georges McCrate could feel the table that he was touching growing hot to the touch and felt this kind of warmth pass through his body. Then they heard the sounds of stones being displaced as if someone was coming down the mountain. They could all see a red light moving down the mountain now. And as it drew closer, a dark silhouette moved in accompaniment. This figure was tall, over two meters or about 6.5 feet. The whistling static continued to travel through the air. It accompanied this light. Uh, the figure stopped 25 meters or about 82 feet from the witnesses. They bent down as if to pick something up and then returned to a full height again. The red light carried by the being extinguished, and the whistling sound faded. It was dark and silent then, broken by branches moving towards one of the cars. The car then moved from side to side in a violent shaking motion, and under Alain Leica's words, they all fled. George S. McCrate and Christian Bensa dashed to George's Fiat 128, but the engine refused to start, like any normal UFO case. And the two ran for the bushes to hide briefly. Elaine Leica and the unnamed individual ran for the R8, the car closest to the humanoid. With their hands on the door handles, a white light shone down on them from the top of the mountain. They immediately dropped to the ground, trying to evade this light. They waited for the darkness to come, and when it did, they piled into the car. Like the Fiat, the R8 wouldn't start either. So the two jump-started the engine by pushing it down the hill and popping the clutch. In his rearview mirror, Elaine Leica looked and saw the silhouette of a figure, like the one that came down the mountain. 
coming down this road, six meters or 20 feet behind them in fast pursuit. Then a second joined in, and a third. And they were all the same height. Their gait was slow, and they moved in this kind of jerky mechanical motion. The car stopped twice while they descended, but quickly started up again each time they moved forward. After a while, the beings halted their pursuit. But in an odd twist, Elaine decided to put the car in reverse and go back up the mountain. Bathed in red light, he could see that the beings wore red one-piece suits and that there is a light coming from inside them. Their heads or their helmets they wore were square, and they had two luminous rectangular eyes on them. One of the beings didn't appear to be wearing a helmet, but instead wore what appeared to be a gas mask with some type of veil draped over the face. And stopping meters away, he opened the car door, stepped out briefly, and yelled, Are you good or are you bad? three times. The beings stopped and conferred with one another. They leaned into one another, producing these odd whistling sounds. And then they turned and pursued them again. Alain got back in the car and started to speed down the mountain road. 50 meters or 165 feet on, he stopped the car again to see if the beings were in pursuit, but they were not visible. Alain again wanted to return, and he, and he waits briefly before ascending ahead, again, headlights bright, windows up. He was determined to make contact with these beings. The entire time, his unnamed friend clutched his coat, pleading with him not to return. Returning now to the panorama table, the beings in the light are gone. He believes the beings are hiding somewhere nearby, and soon he departs to the relief of his friend. As for Georges McCrate and Christian Bensa, they did not wait for the passengers in the R8. They raced down the mountain road, and just as they were about to navigate a sharp bend about 100 meters or 320 feet away from where they had been, a pair of red, luminous legs ran out in front of them, crossing the road in two strides. Their headlights and dashboard lights went out as soon as they had passed the area that the pants had crossed. Amazingly, they were able to avoid crashing the vehicle, and their lights returned a short time later. McCrate continued till he reached a parking area. He chose to wait for Alain Leica, but when the car failed to meet up, McCrate found that he had little courage to drive back up. McCrate drove on to Degrinon. One kilometer or half a mile later, the red legs again ran out in front of them, descending a steep slope into shrub-covered land. Further on their journey, the car was violently shook from one side of the road, thrown to right angles. Then unprompted, the car righted itself to its normal position on the road. A couple of hours later, Elaine Leica returned to the site alone. The area was silent, and the beings were gone, and no white glow could be seen from the top of the mountain, but there was an odor of burnt insulation tape hanging heavy in the air. And that one, that's, that's, that's the most terrifying encounter of this entire goddamn flap. There is... 
it's hard to overstate how much I hate that story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you did cover it on the What If podcast. Um, I don't mean I hate it as in, like, I, I don't want to talk about it. I mean, I hate uh, imagining myself in that situation. Yeah. Like, that. that yeah. is... It's so bizarre. It's so unsettling. Like the the sound. There's something in that. In the um, is that a flying saucer review? I think they covered this story too at some point, right? Yep. There's something in that report about like it wasn't exactly radio static. Right. But that was the closest the closest they could, they could get. Yeah. Yeah. Like it was not a sound that any of them had heard before, but it was something like radio static. Yes. That sucks here. Like hearing a sound that you can't place is mm -hmm. terrifying. The yeah. glowing light, the multiple figures of the same size, the fact that they were following a car, but also moving slowly. It's like some straight up horror movie shit. Right. And then the disembodied pants, it's so silly, but it's also like so creepy at the same time. And that it somehow had an effect on the car. It seems just like mm -hmm. everything about it is just, just makes me feel icky. Yeah. And, uh, there is a depiction, uh, for the folks that want to see of these humanoids on page 68 of the year, year of the humanoids report. They are very tall. They kind of have this bright light kind of in their abdomen and they have square heads. Um, yeah, it's uh, fucking terrifying as shit. Depiction might be generous. It is yeah, a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a yeah. single line drawing, basically. Um, there is a uh, an utterly terrifying depiction in the Flying Saucer Review article of yeah. uh, Elaine Laka, uh kind of trying to get out of his car his friend is holding onto his jacket trying to pull him in there's three beings behind his car and he's yelling out to them are you good or are you bad um, oh yeah that part too like asking them yeah. a question that then they have to discuss and then settle yeah. on like yeah we're gonna keep chasing you I, I, we're bad uh, you yeah. got us we're bad <laughs> yeah no no fuck you we're coming for you uh yeah um just yeah, uh that one sucks <laughs> that one sucks um, pretty bad <laughs> uh this one is um it's in a place that kind of sucks really bad in terms of um uh areas that are known for um and i can hear ryan in my head yelling uh the the words point of separation uh <laughs> this is in el yunque rainforest uh kind of up in the uh, near el yunque mountain uh, in Puerto Rico and it El Yunque kind of has this reputation in UFO literature as this place where you will have encounters with humanoid beings and not only that it has a reputation of people going missing because people have gone missing in there which is not surprising because it's like it's a dense rainforest basically but uh, in 73 in particular, there was, I think, a boy and a girl that had gone missing. One girl, I believe the girl had gone missing like on a school bus trip, like on the bus itself as it was moving. Ooh. Don't know how that happened. But either way, on October 20th, um, Puerto Rico would see one of its strangest cases, the El Yunque Rainforest. 
as I've said, it has a reputation. People have gone missing and people have had strange encounters with humanoids for decades. Uh, this case, even though it is not directly linked to like a UFO sighting in particular, involves, you know, great interest without uh, I'm going to be reading directly from a Stendek article that Google translated for me. So the I'm sure the uh, the translation's going to be funky here and there, but um, it, it in 73 and in 74, Puerto Rico kind of had a UFO flap all its own going on. Wasn't maybe necessarily directly linked to this, but we've got humanoids either way. On Saturday, October 20th, a group of nine people prepared to spend the night in the mountains of El Yunque at about 1,063 meters, hoping to see a UFO. The group was composed of Heriberto Ramos, a commercial pilot, Juan Jimenez, his brother Luis, the university student, Efrain Arroyo, and a high school teacher with four students who preferred to remain anonymous. The group was equipped with an infrared film camera, flashlights, light signals, food, and camping equipment. They got as far as the road would allow and began the ascent. It was around 6 p.m. as they walked up the small path. They met three girls and a young man coming down with a single flashlight in their hands. They would be surprised later if one of them asked them the way since it was getting dark and they had not seen any other cars on the lower slope of the mountain. According to witness Jose Jimenez, the three girls were apparently very pretty. I don't know why that was included, but it was. And they were similarly dressed alike in blue pants and red sweaters. Efra and Arroyo uh, asserts this observation in a detailed interview on November 9th. After reaching the top, the group camped around a concrete hut used for radio communication equipment and in which there was a light bulb illuminating the environment. Around midnight, one of the members of the expedition indicated to his companions that he felt something or someone was watching them. Then they heard a certain noise, and the witness, Juan Jimenez, began to take infrared photographs in the middle of the darkness, pointing towards the suspected site. They immediately went to the site and noticed some deep footprints, as well as trampled grass and broken branches. Sometime later, Heriberto Ramon and Efrain Arroyo ventured to descend a little apart in the case of the group. In the dim ambient light, increased at times by the appearance of the moon through, through the clouds, they could see four beings coming up the narrow path. Quote, we only made out shadows, some silhouettes that came up moving from side to side of the road, as if in a zigzag. Among them, there was one that acted as a, quote, leader. He advanced a few more steps and stopped. He went cautiously, not knowing what we were facing. The one in front seemed to have in his hands a little machine, perhaps electronic, from which green, blue, and red lights came out. He moved it up and down. It wasn't a means of illumination. It was something with those little lights. Yes, we heard the sound of its movement, the brush against the trees. We were already closer when one of the companions shined his flashlight on one of those creatures. 
they moved quickly backwards. According to Arroyo, this was the closest occasion between them and the strange beings that surrounded him. At that moment, he indicates, they felt a great tranquility that they had not experienced before. The approaching operation was repeated once more, returning the strange creatures to move away. The rest of the night was spent in constant vigil. They began the descent at about 5.30 a.m. They found that the whole path was, on both sides, full of deep footprints, larger than a normal footprint, accompanied by another small footprint. In addition, the branches of the bushes were broken and in some cases completely separated. The footprints reached the cars. The minimum distance between the witnesses and the strange beings is estimated at 15 or 20 feet. They could only see them in certain detail when the flashlight was focused on them. According to the witnesses, they were four creatures between five and six feet tall with long arms. We did not see the hands, but we had the impression that they were long. When we illuminated them, quote, we could notice a being with large eyes, a nose and pointed ears or with horns. We don't all agree on this last point. The movements were abrupt, quote, as if jumping. We think they leaned on branches to jump from one side of the road to the other. To make those footprints, uh, they would have had to use great pressure. With the heel of our shoes, we barely sank into the ground. Upon returning to their respective homes, the commercial pilot, Juan Jimenez, took the infrared film. That afternoon, Sunday the 21st, while sitting on the balcony of the house with a neighbor, Menace's mother could hear, quote, a strange movement in the, in the tablets as if someone were moving the film or taking it off the roll. This noise was also heard by the neighbor, caused by great fear in the ladies leaving the house until the return, hours later, of the rest of the family. On Monday the 22nd, Efrain Arroyo took the film home with the purpose of processing it in a commercial laboratory. That night, both his mother and his father, they were, they both heard strange noises. Quote, the slats seemed to move on their own, or we would hit the ceiling and a kind of bell for a moment. An electric fan rolled over on the floor. So, like, these quotes are confusing, but basically there's, like, it, it seems like they're getting at kind of, like, poltergeist activity in their home. Yeah. The infrared film was processed without obtaining any positive results and sometime later was thrown away. Other witnesses claimed to have had some fearsome nightmares, and in particular, one of the students who prefers anonymity has indicated that he had an apparition of a similar being where he told him to forget everything. And there is mm. a depiction of these beings in the Year of the Humanoids report. It is on page 57. <laughs> Fuck these drawings, dude. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, it's like a kind of a dog-like head, mm -hmm. point, pointed ears, and just eyes. There's no nose. There's no mouth. There, there are no other features on the face other than two big eyeballs. Mm -hmm. And then sort of a, a human torso, neck, shoulders, arms, 
And I can't tell if those are supposed to be breasts or pectoral muscles or what's going on there, but there, there are some right. lines on the chest as well. Yeah. The features it's, are very it, nondescript. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have a whole lot of detail, but it's sort of a, a human with a dog like head mm-hmm. roughly. Yep. Not great. Yep. No, Not great. No, definitely don't want to encounter that in any kind of rainforest or anything. I especially um, don't want an apparition of that coming to me in my dreams, telling me to forget everything. That's that yeah. might be worse. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in Indiana, a string of sightings were reported in or near Hartford City beginning on October 22nd. Quote, the first of a series of three independent observations of two silver-suited four-foot humanoids in this area. While driving home, Miss Debbie Karn saw them slowly cross the road in front of her. As she drove past them on the roadside, they made a loud noise and raised their arms as if to scare her. <laughs> Ooga booga! <laughs> this is our road. Get out of here, Deb. About 15 minutes after this case, the Donathans saw the same or a similar pair of beings on the road. They were described as bright silver, straight in form, with no features noticed except for box-like feet. The pair moved in a clumsy, flopping manner as they tried to get off the road ahead of the approaching car. Mr. Donathan described this as a dancing effect. Real quick, what do we think Mr. Donathan's first name is? And what do you think the chances are that it's Jonathan? I just thought the same thing. Jonathan Donathan here. <laughs> That's the kind of guy that sells you cars on used car lot. <laughs> I've never heard the last name Donathan before. It's just Jonathan no. with a D at the beginning. No, the closest I, I've ever heard is like Donahue, and that's it, man. And right. he, what? I remember watching Donahue when I was a kid, and it was god awful. I hated that show. I really hope it's either Donald or Jonathan. Don Donathan. Yeah. <laughs> Donald. Yeah, Donovan. I. That that's when you know your parents hate your existence <laughs> when they name you that. I went. I went to high school with a kid named William Williamson. Oh God! Yep. Just like what do you? you, you I whatever. People, anyone, anyone can have kids, and they can name them whatever they want. But I, I got the ultimate for you, though. Um, so Chris Christopherson's full name is Christopher Christopherson. <laughs> no, the fuck, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You want to know how I know that? There's somebody in my family tree that has that name. <laughs> Chris, wait. Christopher, what? Okay, no, Christopher. So you're saying Christopher, but it's Christopher Christopherson. Um, but spelled the same, right? K R I S. Pretty much, you could do it, but it's spelled like I'm pretty sure they would have pronounced it Christopher. But yeah, Chris. Yeah. Did Did you know that Al Pacino, his full name is Alfredo Pacino? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really in any way relevant here, but I just it I does, need. It <laughs> I need the entire world to know that Al is short for Alfredo and Al Pacino <laughs> <laughs> and possibly in other cases, but at the very right. least in Al Pacino's case, his full name is Alfredo James Pacino. Yes. 
Um, Dude was just born to be in mob movies. He was. He absolutely was. Uh, anyway, back so, to the Donathans. I apologize. Yes, the Donathans. Uh, apparently, the next day, imprints were found in the field where the beings had been last seen. Uh, I, a guy with another baller name, Gary Flatter, um, <laughs> he got the best view of them. About two hours after investigating the Donathan story, he was searching for the beings when he came across a line of small mammals crossing the road. Then he noticed sir, a sir. Yeah. Those, are, those are possums. <laughs> yeah. You saw possums. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, nondescript mammals here uh, crossing the road. Uh, he then he noticed a high frequency sound and spotted apparently the same pair of beings in a plowed field seventy five feet away. After a while, he turned his truck's spotlight on them. They turned their whole bodies toward him, forcing him to turn his lights because the glare from their suits was so great. They had egg-shaped heads with what looked like gas masks with hoses running down to their chest. There is actually a depiction in the Year of the Humanoids report. It is on page 70. Oh yeah, look at those big those big box feet flippers. Mm-hmm. So did they find prints that were just like giant rectangles in the field? That's what I'm assuming, yeah. Um That's weird. Yeah. So uh yeah, they had egg shaped heads with what looked like gas masks with hoses running down to their chests. Their feet were square with a Wow, I said I wrote with a hell. Awesome. Yeah. And seemed to provide uh, <laughs> motive power for slow jumping actions. Uh, I, I'm assuming motor power for slow jumping actions on the final jump. They flew off like a helicopter in the feet down position. Baller. Wait, baller. I need I need to revisit both of those sentences. OK, square feet. <laughs> yep. Providing. Power for slow jumping actions. Yes, that's that's how. Okay, it was so they're using the their big square feet to jump slowly. Yep. And then after several jumps, they flew off like a helicopter in the feet down position. What the hell? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I fucking guess. I don't. <laughs> who am I to? <laughs> who am I to go against Gary Flatter? But that's uh, Gary. Gary Flatter is a name that you can provide, that you can trust, <laughs> that you can count on. Gary fucking Flatter! <laughs> trust that man anywhere. Yeah, he's going to sell, sell me a car. car. He, can, he can teach me about small mammals. <laughs> Gary's an authority for all I, as far as I'm yep. concerned. Oh, Gary is an authority. Uh, so during this flap, there were a number of Bigfoot-like creatures sighted in Tennessee, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. The earliest yeah, can not? be traced... Yeah, Bigfoots associated with UFOs, specifically. Gotta um, have it. Yep. The earliest can be traced to a place called Anthony Hill, Tennessee, on October 1st. Quote, three teenagers saw a huge, hairy, robot-like creature that walked mechanically with its hands upraised. It had a large round head and egg-shaped an egg-shaped UFO was also seen at the time. This occurred during a thunderstorm. Imprints were found later. What why is the thunderstorm important? Uh, 
it's just what David Webb notes in these reports. Like he kind of picks and chooses what's important to him. Huh. Okay. Fair enough. The vast majority of sightings occurred toward the end of October. On the 21st in Covedale, Ohio, a woman given the pseudonym RH woke up around 2.30 a.m. to get a drink of water. She immediately noticed a bright white light seeping into her room from underneath a set of shades that were drawn. A row of lights confronted her. Their source uh, as large as a, quote, hand with the fingers spread out. It, like, the descriptions are just very weird on this one. She counted six, hovering just four feet off the ground, transitioning from blue to silver, like stars as beautiful as Christmas lights. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting is that these bright lights did not illuminate the ground. Another light in the parking lot further away drew her attention. This light, which appeared near a car, illuminated a, quote, ape-like creature. Fear gripped her for a few minutes as she watched this creature near the rear of the car. She thought that they were doing something to it. She ran to her son's room, Carl, and yelled at him to get up. Returning back to her. Carl, wake your ass up. There's a Bigfoot (laughs) messing with the trunk. Uh, there is also a depiction of this being uh, in the Year of the Humanoids report on <laughs> of page Carl? six. No, no, not of Carl, <laughs> but of this weird ape-like creature. It's on page sixty-eight. It's the last one. Um, no, 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 no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> What are we doing here? That that, that creature was drawn by UFO researcher Leonard Stringfield. <laughs> Leonard, get your fucking life together, bud. Uh, okay, so it looks like a fat dinosaur standing upright with two penises for arms. And then there's like a, he drew half of an oval around it. I don't even, I don't know what that line is supposed to represent. Yeah. But it's like a fat, sad, faceless dinosaur (laughs) with two long dick arms. That's That's supposed to be, that's supposed to be the Bigfoot. Yes. That is supposed to be the Bigfoot. The sweet quote unquote doing. Ape-like creature, yeah. That's what we're talking about here. Oh, Um, my goodness. Returning back to her bedroom window, the creature was now surrounded by a, a, quote, shield of light. According to RH, the light was shaped like a, quote, lady's umbrella, the kind that comes down over the head. (laughs) What What is happening here? (laughs) Descriptions, man, like. They're not, they're specific, but too specific. And definitely dated. It's like if you ran it through Google Translate to another language and then back to English. Yep. Yep. With this new illuminated view, she was confident in the creature's ape-like appearance, though it moved with the stiffness of a robot. Sounds like maybe she's not so confident. No, she's she's not very confident at all. This dome of light was 15 feet in diameter, and Miss R.H. noted that this figure appeared to be manipulating an unseen lever of some kind with its arm. I think, it, I think his <laughs> arm is some sort of lever. Yeah. 
Manipulating an unseen what would that be like just doing like some 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 object work out in the parking lot? What are we talking like yeah. manipulating an unseen lever? What would that even look like? I don't I like you're don't grabbing know. something and moving it back and forth with your arm? I'm assuming so. I I'm assuming that it was making like maybe like an up and down motion or like you know, making motions with that arm that made it look like it was standing <laughs> at some kind of control panel or something. Yikes. Okay, sure. Uh, she later called the police, but they were unable to locate the creature. Surprisingly. <laughs> yeah. The next day on the asphalt, Miss RH found a swirl of ashes disturbed by some wind and chunks of white powder. She also discovered chunks of floor tile that appeared to have been thrown about. What the fuck? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, did, moving did on. She, <laughs> did she try any of the white powder that she found? I uh, don't know. I'm not sure what Covedale, Ohio was like in 1973. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I tend to wonder what the nature of this white powder was. <laughs> was meth around yet? I, I Sounds like some I'm real methy so. behavior going on here. It does. It definitely does. Um on the evening of October 25th, near Uniontown, Pennsylvania, quote, a complex report spanned about seven hours during the night. The main report involved a young farmer and two youths who advanced on a bright white domed object about 100 feet in diameter sitting in a field. The UFO made a lawnmower-like sound. Two creatures, seven and eight feet tall, were moving along a fence about 75 feet away from the trio. They were... 240 feet away from the ufo they both had long dark gray hair and greenish yellow eyes their arms hung almost to the ground they seemed to communicate with 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 whining sounds rifle shots were fired at the larger one whereupon it moved its right hand up and the ufo disappeared and the noise stopped that's a fucking bold decision there's some Mm -hmm. tall people in the field let me just shoot him quick. Yeah. Um, so I, I actually covered this case in a, uh, a kind of like a bonus mini-sode. Uh, the individual in this case is a man named George Kowalczyk. And um, it, it, things are about to get weirder. Um, so these creatures slowly walk back towards the woods, um, which is a smart move. And later, a state trooper in a UFO investigating group uh, which included Stan Gordon. Uh, they noticed some like strange effects, especially with the farmer, but no more sightings occurred. A strong, definite odor was present at times, and animals were affected. The farmer's auto headlights dimmed as he approached the UFO during the initial encounter. Um, the strange effects that the farmer experienced, George Kowalczyk, he started to act like he was possessed by some intelligence. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. It's the only case that I have ever seen in which there is a UFO, a cryptid, and some dude getting possessed by something. Huh. Mm. Damn. Sucks to be uh, Mr. Kowalczyk. Yeah. Uh, But uh, if you want, anybody who's listening who wants to learn more about this, I did. um, The mini-sode is called uh, Where Phenomenon Converge. It's like 15 minutes, and it's just the wildest fucking story that you've ever heard yikes another bigfoot like creature only this one was 
like shorter was reported in Terra Alta, West Virginia on the evening of October 26. Quote, the Kingwood, West Virginia police and two uh, figure tower observers watched a light cavort over Cattle Mountain for hours. Willard Zinn, a policeman from Terra Alta, was driving home via a mountain road when he encountered a four foot brown or green creature with long fuzzy hair that darted across the road in front of his car. Zinn skidded into a ditch. The two fire observers joined him, and all three saw a very bright, silent, reddish-white light whiz overhead at treetop level. I mean, there are lots of four-foot fuzzy creatures in, in the world. Maybe we need Gary Flatter out here to identify some more mammals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, like, that's that could be... A large dog that could be yeah. a chimp that could be i mean you know there aren't chimps naturally in in west virginia as far as i know but like mm-hmm. tying that somehow to the light overhead seems like quite a stretch yeah oh definitely i saw a dog um, then i saw a ufo clearly the dog was flying the ufo we're done here <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Case closed. Dogs can fly UFOs. Yeah, they can. Yeah, they can. If they can fly in space, they can fly UFOs. That's yeah, you can't prove that. Can't prove to me that they can't. Right. Exactly. Uh, and apparently, they hang out in the Alyonke rainforest. Um, on Halloween, Tennessee would play host to a series of strange creatures. Quote: One of a series of reports by David Swanner of quote-unquote, anthropoids, UFO landings, and contacts. The first, a landing report, occurred on September 30th while Swanner was alone, hidden in a deer stand in the afternoon. A white glowing ball hovered close to the ground, 50 to 60 feet away. Three polished legs extended to form a tripod, and the UFO settled to the ground. The object was (laughs) seven to... Yeah. My dumbass was was envisioning, like, some... Some smooth, oiled up like human legs, not like landing gear. <laughs> Maybe he did. Maybe he did. Uh, you know, <laughs> anything you just gotta polish your legs. Polish them <laughs> legs, man. Just uh, get some compounds, sure wipe them down. Are we sure that's not Polish legs? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't know the, the difference between Polish legs and polished <laughs> legs, but I'm. <laughs> I I imagine there's a master class out there for that. <laughs> they were pale and sturdy looking. I think they were yeah. Polish legs. Po- totally Polish legs. Uh, the object was seven to ten feet in diameter. A ramp was let down to the ground, but the ramp uh, closed. The legs snapped up and the UFO rose and disappeared when Swanner made a noise in the stand. As he walked. It. Yeah, he just like spooked him, man. Just spooked him right there crying shame really is (laughs) um as he walked to the spot his lungs hurt from breathing a white vapor left behind and he could feel heat the landing gear left visible traces on october 31st he encountered three anthropoids while driving to work at 5 30 a.m they were hairy had flat noses large foreheads pointed ears and they left three-toed tracks, which is kind of infamous in some Bigfoot cases, the, the three-toed tracks. Um, this anthropoid 
report is included because of a nearby UFO report the same night. Uh, there were many sightings of anthropoids and UFOs in the Tennessee Valley during the fall period. On October 21st, Swanner and his daughter saw another smelly anthropoid near his home. In early 1974, uh, on three specific dates, January 17th, February 4th, and February 9th, Swanner became a quote-unquote contactee with reports of communication with humanoids and even ride in a UFO. Oh, a UFO ride. Yep. That's fun. That is fun. He's going for rides. I dig it. Uh, there was, um, I covered this flap uh, from Wisconsin, and there was this guy who, um, he was mowing the the uh, the grass for a um, a golf course, and on I think like two successive Fridays he encountered a UFO and these like human looking aliens that got out and talked to him, and he eventually became a contactee. That's literally how the report went. Uh, he eventually became a contactee. <laughs> Saw some aliens start talking to him. Uh, you know, one thing led to another, and boom, you got a contactee. You got a contactee. That's, it's as simple <laughs> as that. That's how you make them. You make them out in the street. It's like a fresh pie. You go and you get a slice. That's how you do it. That's how we make those. Boom, uh, you're a contactee. Contactees. You're a contactee. <laughs> You've been contacted. Yeah. Uh, Oprah infamously made contactees back in the day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look under your seat. There's a contactee. <laughs> Uh, the, one of the most interesting parts of this flap uh, occurred at the beginning of November in Goffstown, New Hampshire. And this area was just like a hot spot for humanoids. And beginning on November 1st, Miss Florence Dow received a loud thump on her front door at around 8.30 p.m. She turned on her front porch light and saw a strange motionless figure facing toward her. And when I say she turned on the light uh, and saw this figure, this figure was like looking into her window, not at the door. Um, oh, yeah, <clears throat> that's somehow worse. Yeah, it is. It is very worse. Uh, quote, it was dressed <laughs> as if from another time, an old fashioned black coat, a black wide brimmed hat pulled over the long over the face and the face, a feeling of terror crept over her. There was no face. What should have been a face had no features. It had covering over it resembling masking tape, like a mummy's face. No mouth or nose could be seen, and if the entity had eyes, they were covered uh, by the pulled-down hat. So she's basically getting a visit from the Invisible Man. Yeah. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yikes. She's got mummies. Yes. <laughs> she's, got, she's got mummies knocking on her door. The terrified Miss Dow looked on in horror as the entity slowly raised a gloved hand and motioned for her to come outside. In response, she yelled at him to come around to the front door so she could see who he was. The fuck is going on here? I know. Doesn't sound terrified to me, but uh, running to the front door, she unchained it and gazed outside. But the mysterious figure was nowhere to be found. Six hours later, uh -oh. at 2.45 a.m., Miss Lindia Morell clocked out of the Swedish sauna in Manchester and proceeded 
to the Ben Roy's restaurant where she had two cups of coffee with a coworker. And by 3.40, she had crossed the street and purchased about $2 worth of gas at a gas station. By 3.50, she was on the road again, traveling south along Route 114A. On the outskirts of Pinerdville, just past the Bywise supermarket, a bright yellow star appeared in the sky. It then began to change colors from red to green to blue. She lit a cigarette at the intersection of 114A and 114, and when she did, the light in the sky extinguished. Beyond the intersection, the light would come back to life again and extinguish a short distance later down the road. It seemed to be kind of, you know, playing with her, toying with her almost. And miles down the road, when the light appeared again, it was much lower in the sky. It appeared as a large globe covered in a honeycomb-like pattern. The fluctuating red, green, and blue lights seemed to come from a source at its center. It emitted a steady, high-pitched whining sound that produced a tingling sensation throughout her entire body. A new terror overcame her when she realized that she was unable to remove her hands from the steering wheel. Her eyes were drawn upward to the craft, and it was as if she was losing control of her body. For nearly half a mile, Lindia was unaware of anything else around her but the craft. Then she realized that her car was speeding fast, and it was out of her control. The UFO was pulling the car towards it like a magnet. Within sight of a cemetery, a figure became present on the craft through a large window on the sphere. And I've got images of this figure that I, I will like just share. casually tossing in like, and we were by a cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have gotta, been ghosts as well. Yeah. You got to You got to throw that out when you can. So we have images this, uh, there of this figure. Okay. The last one is by Jez Ortiz, who drew this one uh, going in order. The, the first one <laughs> is, is how it appears in the report. Second one and the third one are uh, from a uh, an oh, April bulletin, no. and the fourth one is Jez's art. I mean, it looks like okay. This this last one is fun. the The drawing from the the web report, I just <laughs> there's so little detail in these to as almost not be useful. It's just yeah. like a a, a round head. <laughs> With two big eyeballs and like one line for a mouth. Mm -hmm. Like that could be, I guess it's weird that there's not a nose or hair or ears, but it's just like a, a very overly simplified drawing. The next one is real fun. There's a flying honeycomb sphere with a big window in it over the road. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Detail of occupant based on witness sketch. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, and then Zhezh's drawing makes it look more like I don't the skin looks like sort of uh reptile like yeah lots of it, lots of folds and creases and sort of a little little scaly looking yep, yep. <laughs> also I love that he that he put this uh this alien dude in a turtleneck that seems appropriate absolutely absolutely yeah, that's, that's just like a that's a snake in a turtleneck is, yep. is the last one the, the globe group writer 
whined louder and came closer to Lindia. This is a direct quote from the report from Walter Webb. And uh, I don't know if you knew this or not. For, for many years, Betty Hill was actually a field investigator for APRO. And she investigated this yeah. case with Walter I Webb. I didn't know that she worked on this case specifically, but I knew that she investigated stuff for a while. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, quote, Miss Burrell said that the figure's head, upper body, and arms were visible while a dark horizontal surface occupying the lower portion of the oval window obscured the rest of the body. The woman guessed this humanoid could have been standing at a control board of some kind. Behind the figure was a white background. The occupant's body appeared darker than the face with small shoulders, but it was uncertain whether the body was clothed in a uniform or not. The rounded head was grayish between a gray and flesh tone, except for a darker color on top, and the face bore wrinkles or loose skin like an elephant's hide, angling upward across the forehead. Two large egg-shaped eyes with large dark pupils gripped the observer's attention so much that she felt unable to look away. She said she received an impression or awareness that told her, don't be afraid. A mouth slit turned down at the corners, completed the description of the face. No nose or ears were noticed. Um, this is, uh, I think the one of the best comparisons to this creature is uh, uh, Neen or Nine from, uh, he was Lando's co-pilot in Return of the Jedi. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of looks like that a little bit. Sure, sure. Except like if if that dude didn't have ears. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Basically. Uh-huh. As she <laughs> as she passed the cemetery, she felt uh she was in increasing danger of being abducted and nearing a house, she shielded her eyes and took a sharp turn into their driveway. Pushing open the car door, uh, the Bedouin family's German shepherd growled and ran up to the frightening woman. Uh, trigger warning here because you're going to have a little bit of uh, animal abuse here. She ended up just like punching the dog and ran for the house. Um, before she was able to rouse Miss Bedouin, the UFO hovered across the street, keeping an eye on her at all times. She felt like fainting when she opened the door and cried out, help me. I'm not drunk. I'm not on drugs. A UFO tried to pick me up. Tough sell at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm bit. not drunk. It's the UFOs that are drunk. Yep. Uh, <laughs> Miss Bedouin noticed how Lindia was covering her ears, but was unable to perceive any sound herself. After two minutes of being inside, the sound vanished. The incident was reported to the Gosstown PD. In his report, patrolman Daniel Jubnaville noted how shaken Lindia Morrell was. He too spotted an object in the distance from the Bedouin homestead, and when he aimed his flashlight at it, the light went out. Um, investigators, uh, Walter Webb himself, thought it was the planet Venus, but honestly, Venus gets the... It, the fall kind of most of the time so i don't think it was venus venus also uh, doesn't go out if you yeah. point a flashlight at it <laughs> yeah exactly exactly it doesn't the planets don't work like that oops uh, my bad are... sorry <laughs> am i too am i too bright my bad my bad <laughs> that's venus <laughs> turn down them high beams man seriously sorry, it's sorry i didn't i didn't know it was night down there i'm i'm sorry <laughs> 
<laughs> so on on the following day, November third, the Renaud family uh, invited Rex and Teresa Snow over to their home to look through their son's telescope in the backyard. And through the viewfinder, another object appeared as Rex was viewing Mars in the night sky. An object was hovering over a nearby river. It was a silvery-shaped craft unlike anything he'd seen before. He could see four reddish windows before the object sped out of sight. Both families saw the object, but hours later, things would get a lot stranger. Later that night, Snow, the Snows were startled awake by the sound of something brushing up against their house. Their German shepherd, uh, Miko, began to whimper. From his bedroom door, which was partially open, he could see a light shining from under the door, which was coming from a corridor outside. Glancing into the kitchen, it looked as if the lights in the kitchen were on at half capacity. And following it from there, it appeared to be flooding in from underneath a window shade. His thoughts drifted to a house fire, but when he pulled the shade, he was startled by a pair of silvery-suited beings generating their own light. Um, so the silvery-suited beings were the basically the first beings that you saw that were on the cover of the report, but they're also depicted on page 74. Okay. Are these the guys with the the vacuum and the bag or whatever they're yeah, okay. Yep. yep. Yeah. So they they've got like a one piece jumpsuit kind of thing on. Got some big pointy ears, big black eyes. One is holding what looks like sort of a maybe a baseball bat. I'm and, picturing an old school like musket. Oh, sure. Yeah, there are like lines coming out of the end of it. I don't know if that's supposed mm-hmm. to be sound or like something being shot out of it. Yeah. And then the the other one who looks identical to the to the guy holding the, the musket baseball bat thing is bending over and is holding. I can't really tell what's in its hand. Maybe like a. It's a rock. That's a Just rock. A, yeah. What he's holding is a rock and he's putting it into a bag, basically. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. So in, in one hand, he's holding a rock and then there's like a paper lunch bag looking mm-hmm. thing in the other hand. Yep. Yeah, that's basically it. So he sees these silvery suited beings. They were generating their own light. Quote, they had oversized pointed ears, dark egg shaped holes for eyes and a large nose like protrusion covered by the same silver material, which resembled Ku Klux Klan hoods. That's not accurate to me. Well, not based on that illustration, but no. I guess we don't know how, how accurate the illustration is. What what state are we in here? This is New Hampshire. Yeah, okay. So probably probably not a super strong clan presence in New Hampshire. Uh I'm I'm assuming not, but yeah. No, I can't I can't see there being one. But um He could not remember how many fingers they had, but did remember that their hands were also covered with the same silver fabric as if they had gloves. In fact, everything but the creature's boots seemed to be an apparently seamless coverall. The boots themselves were silver, had no heels, and their toes curled up like pixie shoes. That's adorable. Yeah, it, it is absolutely adorable. Uh, Rex yelled to Teresa, looking for confirmation that the figures were standing just 60 feet away, 
uh, you know, were in fact there. She ignored it, thinking he was joking, but Rex wasn't when he ran into the bedroom, turned on the light, and loaded his thirty-eight caliber handgun. Honey, there are aliens outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's hilarious. Honey, give me my gun. There are aliens outside. <laughs> <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Just, you say once they're aliens, and then your next move is to come back inside, say nothing, and grab your gun and go back outside. Yep. Uh, that sucks. That does indeed suck. Um, Rex returned to the door where Miko was ready to pounce on the beings. He opened the door, <laughs> him, buddy. and the dog ran to within 30 feet when the two figures stopped and stared directly at the dog. She would not. Uh, she would start and then stop moving toward them multiple times. Miko slowly made her way back into the house like a, you know, kind of like a, an embarrassed dog. Uh, and Rex slamming the door behind her, gripped with a sudden new fear. The figures then resume what they were doing. They picked up random objects from the ground and placed them in a silver bag. One creature appeared to be armed with a flashlight that they would sweep across the ground while the other would bend down to pick up each item. Their movements were slow and methodical, which is a common thing when, when people are encountering these beings, like on Draguinon, on um, in New Hampshire. Like um, a lot of these humanoids, they have these like slow mechanical gates as if they don't know how to walk on Earth, which, you know, is it's interesting. It's something that keeps popping up here. Eventually, they turned and walked into the woods. Rex described their light getting dimmer and dimmer as they moved away. And yeah, that's 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 that's, a, that's it. They just walked off into the woods. Yeah. Yeah. He right. he, he remained a coward in his own home. <laughs> I mean, sounds like he handled it pretty well if if they just I, yeah. took some dirt and then left, you know. I mean, this this says the, uh, you know, feelings of that that uh Cottrell guy uh earlier on who was in new hampshire you know encountering the beings in those globes of light asking him if it you know he was going to shoot them uh something about you know new hampshire residents shooting aliens is uh it's a trend here it's, it's, it's a trend it's the uh the local pastime On November 11th in Greenville, South Carolina, quote, a three foot being dressed in a light brown coverall got into a cab and told the driver to take him to Greasy Corners, a location intersection. The head was featureless except for goggles or large eyes. It had on gloves and gold boots with gold buttons on the chest. The being paid for the fare with a dollar bill, which had the green side colored yellow. That's it. That's literally it for that. You just you just gave a ride to like a weird fourth grader. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Some, just a weird kid just got in your cab. That's that's that story. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Uh, I don't know. I don't know my kid. The three feet is probably too short for a fourth grader. You you picked up a weird first grader. <laughs> I don't know how kids work. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean. It's totally fair, man. I don't know how they work either. I don't even know how they grow, which is fine. Uh, he just took a first grader to Greasy Corners, which sounds like not a great place to drop off a yeah. child. Nope, definitely does not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, six days later in Mobile, Alabama, quote, a security guard observed a bright yellow translucent craft 50 to 100 feet out over Mobile Bay and 30 and 300 feet from the witness. The UFO was just uh, half a foot above the water, silent, five by five feet in size. This may have been just the illuminated portions of a larger object. It jerked back and forth like a hummingbird. He observed four silhouetted figures who also jerked about in a corridor inside the object. A week earlier, the witness had seen a blue light and observed an object every night for two weeks. In December 1973, he developed physical problems and died 18 months later. Damn, that escalated quickly. (laughs) He saw a weird light for two weeks and then he was dead. Yep. Yep. Uh... Wait, is that the end of that story? That is literally the end of the story. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Alabama man sees weird shit and dies. Alabama man, we will, um, uh, we'll play, um, Mariah Carey and Boys to Men's uh, One Sweet Day for you in your honor. (laughs) That one was rough. I didn't see that coming. Uh, we got a little revenge, though, here in Martina Franca, Italy, on November 20th. Two youths, 16 and 17, told police they had seen a ball of fire land near the railroad station. The glow went out, and then they saw something approximately human but globular in shape with two eyes in a white face and little red and yellow lights on its head. Frightened, they hid behind a wall, but the entity followed them there. They pelted it with stones and then ran to the police Get station. <laughs> Get them. <laughs> and in Puerto Rico on the 21st, quote, a secretary receptionist had a, had a visitor whom she considered to be an, of unearthly origin. This is also as reported a, um, this is also reported as quote, a conversation with human with strange behavior. This is uh, from a Stendek article that uh, I translated. <laughs> and yeah, that's literally all there is to it. I wanted to know more about this woman encountering some strange human. Cause like this has, uh, you know, Mothman, like Mary higher vibes with that tiny, that dude named like that weird short dude that was amazed by a pen after she gave it to him. Like it has those kind the, of vibes to it to me. The way it's written here or summarized here though, is just like a secretary mm-hmm. talked to a weirdo. <laughs> Yeah. End of story. Yep. Um, so uh, now we're going to get into the abductions and we're, we're nearing the end of this, uh, this long ass episode here, folks. Uh, so the abductions, they definitely uh, deserve to be in their own category because again, they all took place within the 17 day window of each other in October. So between October 11th and October 28th is when all of these abductions took place. Um, And at the time, this was the highest number of uh, abductions ever reported in a single year. And, you know, we're not going to deep dive into a a lot of these. Um, There are some like the, the abduction of Pat Roach. I'm going to cover that in a, in a Patreon episode. Uh, She was featured on an episode of in search of, uh, I think it was called like the UFO captives. It had, you know, Carl Higdon and, and a couple other people on it. Um, there was also a guy named Brian Scott who had had, I think he's kind of like the first 
person who has multiple abductions that shows up uh, in in reports and stuff like that. So uh, he's going to be talked about in a, in a Patreon episode. But we got a couple of fun ones here. Um, Clarence <laughs> Patterson, a resident of Loxley, Alabama, and his pickup truck were sucked up into a huge cigar-shaped object with a green light on October 17th. Damn. He was pulled out of the truck by about six robot-like beings who seemed to read his mind. The next thing he remembered, he was back on the highway going about 90 miles per hour in the truck. He may have been on board for up to 30 minutes. A sulfury smell was noted during the sighting. That's bold. Do you know of any other truck abductions? Because that's the first time I've heard that. There was one reported to MUFON in 2004, and it was an older case, I think, from like the 70s or the 80s. And this, it was this guy who was driving truck and see, ends up seeing a UFO. Uh, he has a gun with him, and he ends up firing like shots mysteriously. And when he later finds his gun, he's looking through it, and he realizes that he did actually shoot his gun off. He didn't know what he had shot it shot it at. But he actually Ooh. arrived at the location uh, that he was driving truck to early. So they had apparently mm. uh, teleported him. Uh, or they, they put him back on the freeway going 90 like they did with Clarence. Pretty much, you know. So sometimes it happens. Um, this This next one, I am not totally convinced it's an abduction, but... It's definitely up there with that uh, one case with the green Ninja Turtle van and the NBC newsroom inside it. Um, (laughs) This is directly from the Humcat. On October 14th on Hampton Lake, Wisconsin, quote, Nancy, 22, and her boyfriend Jim were camping at Hampton Lake with another couple and that couple's baby. Nancy and Jim just settled down in the camper for the night, were awakened by a bright light shining through the back window. Then the camper door suddenly burst open. They saw a bright saucer-shaped object about to land, descending in a zigzag motion. On the ground, the glowing object then disgorged a variety of about 20 figures, male and approaching the camper slowly. No thanks. Yeah. One appeared to be a black man. A second was similar to a swami, standing on one leg with his other leg wrapped around his head. This... I don't know what the hell this report is, but it definitely gets weird. A (laughs) disembodied face appeared in the camper telling them not to be afraid. But I mean, if a disembodied face appears, that'll help. Yeah, that'll keep me calm for sure. Thanks. Totally. Totally. Uh, I don't think they totally understand what reassuring words (laughs) were, but they should really take notes uh, with that one guy that stopped and gave reassuring words to that motorcyclist. (laughs) Reassuring Eggman. Yeah, reassuring Eggman. Yeah. Um, Disembodied heads, not typically calming, just for no. most humans, I think. If there are any aliens listening right now and you <laughs> yeah. want to pull that shit, think again. Not the heads are, are, are much more reassuring when they're attached to bodies, just yes. as, a, as a starting point. Yes, absolutely. Uh, please make sure you are completely attached to the body, not like <laughs> separated by a few inches. Don't pull that bullshit. We need it attached 100%. Um, So about seven of the men stood in a semicircle 10 feet away from the van door. 
the dog that was in the van with them went flying out when the door burst open and was not Jesus. seen until later. A lot of dog violence in this episode, Rob. Uh, yeah, just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not intentional. My apologies. <laughs> it, it's just what was reported here. Uh, one, of, one of the seven men had dark curly hair and was dressed in blue jeans and a red plaid shirt. He held a German shepherd in each hand by a leash. That's a sick. That's a sick look. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is a figure that is. Um, I'm calling this figure Lumberjack Edgelord. Lumberjack Edgelord is what we have here. <laughs> um, the The group of figures stood there for about 10 minutes, staring silently at the witnesses who covered inside who were who cowered inside the van in great fright a man carried a scroll three more beings different from the others and only four feet tall came out of the quote spaceship and moved about the area very quickly just uh kind of running around uh they seemed to glow a whitish green color and one of these perched in a tree this is just the, the fucking the the avengers just rolled up to this campsite yeah, pretty much. Pretty, pretty much. Uh, I don't understand why they're here doing what they're doing. It just doesn't make sense. With this large assemblage uh, that was present, Jim jumped out of the camper and alerted their friends to sleep in a tent nearby. <laughs> they were unable to understand what all the excitement was about, being unable to see either the spaceship or any of the beings themselves. Jim hustled them into the camper, collected all of their belongings, found the dog, and with the other couple driving, they took off. En route back to Milwaukee, the couple in the rear of the camper experienced all sorts of odd phenomena, including a gloved hand apparition, a presence, and both Nancy and Jim experienced hysteria. The other couple perceived nothing unusual and believed their friends crazy. They were taken, in fact, directly to an emergency room entrance upon return. Nancy had dreamed all this when she was 16 years old in 1967. She knew that they were going to be abducted because of these dreams. Furthermore, believes in reincarnation and believes she was Nefertiti. Or however you spell it indicated in the report. I'm not kidding you. That's literally in the report. And that one day she would return as Nefertiti. She believed in UFOs and psychic abilities and all of the other uh, uh, occult matters that are in such great vogue today. Uh, one would be, in fact, hard pressed to call her an objective witness, just as one would be hard pressed to call this an objective abstract. So, yeah, um, Web notes how fucking ridiculous this case is. It makes no sense. Yet. He included it. And for that, we appreciate him. <laughs> I appreciate you, David Webb, and, and your fantastic cases. Um, one day later, on October 15th, in Omro, Wisconsin, quote, the witness was awakened sometime after midnight by a brief high-pitched sound. The room was lit up by a bright orange-red glow, and he saw three humanoids, four to five feet tall, materialize. They had bald heads, grayish-white wrinkled skin and rounded ears they moved mechanically the witness passed out then came to on the floor propped against the wall unable to move the entities were examining him with an oval object 
that showed the bones of his legs when it passed over them. He had a severe headache and passed out again as a being reached toward him. He awakened toward dawn on the floor. He found lights on in the bedroom and the bedsheets folded back neatly. He reported the incident to Kufos in June 1974 after a second curious incident involving his girlfriend. There are some inconsistencies in the details of this account, um, but still included it in the original Year of the Humanoids report. I appreciate that. Yep. Love it. Another report, this one from October 17th in Watauga, Tennessee, has features that will sound familiar but are definitely questionable. Quote, a circular copper-colored UFO hovered just off the ground while a six-foot being reached out of a doorway and tried to grab two children. It had two, quote, claw-like hands and blinking eyes. At least six other reports of UFOs came from the same area on the same day. So, the, the, the abduction cases are weird in this one. I gave you kind of some of the offbeat failures and weird cases uh included in that but they all kind of fit in this time frame but there's one incident that kind of marks the end of the year of the humanoids uh and it occurred outside the u.s in vilvord belgium the witness in this case a 28 year old man given the initials vm was asleep on a mid-december morning when he woke up at 2 a.m to use the bathroom which uh is in like they indicate in the report that it's kind of in a, it seems like an outhouse kind of situation almost like it. It's in the small outer yard adjoining the kitchen. Um, when he reached the kitchen, he heard what sounded like a shovel kind of just striking the ground a bit. And there was this unique glow filtering in through one of the windows um, that caught his attention too. And it was this sickly green light, which is, you know, odd at any time of day that you're seeing it any time of day or night. And he walked to the window and parted the curtain and there in his backyard, uh, enclosed by the walls was a short figure, 1.1 meters or about three and a half feet tall in height. And, um, quote, this is the, uh, exact description from the, from the, um, flying saucer review article which is where i pulled this one from they were wearing a shiny one-piece suit emitting a greenish luminosity the entity's back was towards him in three-quarter profile he was of medium build and his head arms and legs normal in appearance his green uniform was very bright and sparkling and the witness compared it to the material of the upholstery of certain buggy types of cars polyester tinge with metallic particles. The entity's head was protected by a transparent globular helmet, and from the rear of it, a tube let down to join a sort of rectangular haversack on their back. The haversack covered their back roughly from the waist upwards to the level of the shoulder blades. Should indeed a humanoid possess such things as shoulder blades. (laughs) I love that. True. Important, important point of clarification. Yeah. 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 Uh, all, all this apparatus was of exactly the same appearance as the rest of the uniform. The clothing appeared to be entirely without stitching with no buttons, no fasteners or pockets. The witness noticed a belt 
and when the entity moved about, he was able to see that on his abdomen at waist level, he had a small bright red square box, luminous and sparkling. The belt was about three to four centimeters wide, and the small box was about eight centimeters long by some three or four centimeters wide. The box emitted a red light of constant intensity. The entity's trousers, the lower parts of which were shiny, were slightly baggy, were thrust into small, close-fitting boots, which had the same appearance as the rest of the uniform. Not detailed features of the entity were visible. Their hands were of the same shape as ours, but with similar proportions, they were gloved, and the sleeves of his suit were tight-fitting at the wrists and, like the bottoms of the trousers, slightly puffed out. Seen from the rear, the head looked round and black, and VM thought the uh, entity must have short hair, mm, which I don't understand, but, you know. Isn't uh, it wearing what, a helmet? Yeah, pretty I much. Thought, I thought they said there was a helmet. Yeah, I mean, it's it's pretty much wearing a helmet, so I, I don't understand well, how he came to that conclusion. It just seems like he's kind of grasping at straws there. You know what? They woke up to take a pee in the middle of the night and saw an alien in their garden. That's fair. Cut them some slack on the details. That's fair. Totally fair. Uh, a luminous halo surrounded him from head to foot and also partly illuminated the ground and the wall uh, on his left. No sound was emitted by the entity and the witness could detect no respiratory movement in them, which is an odd detail to indicate, you know, especially when this figure is kind of three quarter turned at first, like that's is that something getting. you can see from a distance. Like I'm, I'm trying to think if I were looking at someone from even like across a room, would I be able to tell that they were breathing or not? I don't think so. Um, right. I unless you're breathing, know. you know, real heavily or something, but I think it's unless like you're, unless, I think unless you're making a conscious effort to see, to look for that, I, I don't think you'd notice. Yeah. That is an odd detail to include. It is a very odd detail to include. Um, for the folks playing along at home, uh, this entity, <laughs> you can see them on page 74 of the year of the humanoids report. It is number 50. He's got a fancy-looking vacuum cleaner, an old-school vacuum cleaner, the kind that you would see in, like, um, restaurants and stuff when you're trying to vacuum up crumbs and, and stuff and, like, not... Yeah, like the, the, the manual ones, not, like, the electric. Yeah, yeah exactly. I've, there's probably exactly. a name for those, but, yeah. Yep. And then, like, um, he's, and he's just got a fishbowl on his head. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, and, and, I mean, like, they the way that they describe it in the report is basically like an old school vacuum cleaner in hand. Um, and he's passing it over a pile of bricks, um, that are kind of gathered near, uh, VM's garden. And this being kind of moves slowly, kind of waddling and bending their knees slightly. And at this point, VM flashed his flashlight toward the being twice. The being turned their entire body around, unable to move their neck independently. And he was able to see the being's face for the first time. It was pretty much featureless with the exception of a pair of luminous eyes, large, ovular, and yellowish. He could make out red and black veins on the irises. 
and VM could see lids that would come down and extinguish the light briefly that the eyes were producing and would come back when they opened again. In response to the flash, the being flashed a peace sign with one hand. They turned back around and walked toward the back of the wall, placing one foot on it. Then, with a stiff and rigid posture, began to walk up and over the wall in a direct, like, arc, suggesting that this being had just, like, walked up and over and, like, directly down on the other side of the wall. I love that this part of the story so much. Like, Mm -hmm. shine a flashlight on this little dude vacuuming your garden, and he's like, oh, my bad. I'll, yeah, I'll go now. See ya. And then just walks, like, sticks his feet to the side of the wall and walks over it out of sight. Yep. The the peace sign is just so, so perfect. Mm Mm-hmm. Peace out, dude. I'm out. Um, (laughs) I didn't know you were up. Sorry. 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 Just, like, you know, checking out some bricks. My bad. (laughs) Uh, Four minutes after the being disappeared, VM watched as a round object began to appear, rising into the air, remaining stationary for a moment, emitting a, uh, calls it a churring noise, but um, I would probably say it's more like chirping noise, um, like, because the best way to antiquate it the way that he describes it is the way that um, it's similar sound to the way that crickets make when they rub their legs together. Um, Okay. uh, At the edges of the craft, VM could see sparks coming off of it. The being was bathed by a blue green light coming from inside a transparent dome on this, on the top of this disc. On the orange-colored upper portion, he could see an emblem consisting of a black circle transverse diagonally by a yellow lightning bolt. So basically, he saw the flash symbol from uh, DC. Yeah. Yeah. Branding is on point. Branding is on point, for sure. Um, The object then rose vertically into the air, stopping briefly, rocking from side to side. The chirping sound got louder and the sparks were thrown farther as the cupola on top began to rotate faster. Then the craft shot straight into the air and disappeared. My my favorite part at the end here is that VM, after watching this, made himself a snack, went to bed, and slept. And then woke <laughs> up the next morning and failed to find anything any kind of evidence that anything had been in his backyard. And if that is not the pure encapsulation of what the UFO phenomenon is and can be, I don't know what is. And that ladies and gentlemen is the year of the humanoids flap. What a ride, buddy. There's too much. Like, I feel (laughs) like some of these humanoids could have said no and just not shown up. But, uh, alas, we got humanoids. It is uh, truly bizarre to imagine people having that range of experiences across a four month period, like largely in half the United States for most of mm-hmm. those cases. Yeah. What the fuck? Right. <laughs> like what, what could possibly explain any of that much less all of that i don't know man i i (laughs) struggle to 
come up with an explanation. That was a rhetorical question. I <laughs> Rob, explain I know, it to but me I'm just like right now. I, I don't know. In uh, hour three of this podcast, I need you to explain <laughs> all of it to me. Um, I think what's interesting here and, and what's incredible about this flap is that, you know, when you read through the reports, every single one of them at the end says a firsthand investigation. And I think that's what makes this flap special is that one, there were so many reports two, so many people willing to come forward with the reports, given how some are just absolutely bonkers, fucking crazy. Uh, and you know, we're cool with that. And, um, some, I would say when it comes to firsthand investigations, probably not that much investigating going on, but still these, you know, reports make certain people's radars, uh, in the end just makes like a really fascinating report. Yeah. Lots of fascinating reports. In fact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, thank you for guiding us on that absolutely batshit crazy ride that we just all went on together. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, finding Quantum Quest, it's all out now. And, dude, you, y'all fucking made shit happen. Now, Quantum Quest is going to get a digital release all because of you. It's true. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We we made a podcast about this movie called Quantum Quest and that had been lost for 10 years. And now it's coming out on May 10th on digital on-demand platforms. So if you don't know what we're talking about, we just spoiled the end of a really great podcast for you. <laughs> um, and you should go listen to Finding Quantum Quest wherever you get podcasts. And if you've already listened to it, thank you. And yeah. uh, maybe we can watch the movie together in a couple months. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh for the ending of this podcast, I'm I'm going to keep it short this week because, yeah, this was a long one. So thanks to Floats for the use of their song UFO as the theme for this show. Thanks to Megan Lagerberg for our logo. The great Desdemona for our T-shirt designs. Uh, we got links in the show notes. You can find everything there. Finally, don't forget to look up because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies or staring at you from the doorway of your own trailer. In gray, we trust. Yeah.